want the cup. We want the cup. We want the cup. We want the cup. Welcome to Brotherly Pod. It is Thursday, December 10th, 2020. And uh, got a bit of a different show here. We've got uh, Anthony uh, from Brotherly Pod joining us, as always. And uh, Angry Jim from the Angry Negative Show. Rearing his ugly head yet again on <laughs> Brotherly Pod. Crossover episode. Yeah, I was going to say, for the two people that I do shows with the most... Being you two, I don't. You rarely ever cross over with each other, so it's a, it's a big episode feel here. And we came together. Uh, Anthony personally requested this episode with Jim to uh, rip him a new one for some reason. So Anthony, oh. uh, the floor is yours. Well, to be fair, I just want to set him up and trigger years so you can rip him a new one. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. No. <laughs> but no, it's because i've been tracking this for about six weeks because there's a show you guys did with nick at the end of october yes and jim was being mr positivity yes which oh, yeah. i don't like and he and he <laughs> said he basically caved and he said if the flyers still or have still stood pat by the time december comes around i will be just as pissed as you guys so first i want to let dan stir in his pure hatred for that comment. And two, Jim, explain yourself. Where are you at now that it's December 10th? Yeah, so I think in recent weeks, my tune has slowly been changing because it's we've gotten closer and closer to December. Now, obviously, we're here, and the roster is the same. Uh, I will say, though, that the signing of Phil Myers, at least for me, I believe that it could trigger at least another move or two. Because I think we're going to kind of have that, like that second, that second weird free agency thing happen, right? Because there's a bunch of good players that are still unsigned, and things are going to kind of move a little bit, right? There's teams like the Lightning that still they're over the cap. They're going to have to make a move somehow, and there's more teams like that. Uh, so I'm less patient now, but I'm still in. I think there's going to be a move that could happen. There has to be. Like they have. Eight defensemen on the roster, don't they? We've got like 12 like defensemen on the roster. Unless they're going to go for like a, a rotational, you know, uh, third pairing on D with Haig, Braun, Ghost, someone's going to have to move. And you would think that it's still Ghost with the addition of uh, Gustafson. So I'm a little bit less patient, but at the same time, I'm like, this roster can still make noise in the regular season. I'm just not as confident for the playoffs. For anybody that doesn't know what we're talking about, it was episode 79 of the Angry Negative Show from the October 22nd, and it was the first episode we did of season three after the 
um, postseason, the, the, the playoffs and signings and whatnot, and the Flyers didn't do jack shit. And Jim's on here, don't worry, guys, it's going to happen. We'll be fine. And we waited, and we waited, and we waited three months to get Phil Myers resigning at a reasonable rate, which we'll Very touch upon in, 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 a, in a few minutes. But uh, nothing else has happened now. I don't necessarily disagree with Jim. I think there will be a second free agent market. There's still some names out there. That being said, the Flyers have... It says 2.2 on here, but I'm pretty sure it's less than that. I think it's more around 1.8 uh, for whatever reason. Not a lot of room to do anything. Uh, and I have lost all hope in a Shane Goss spirit trade. I'm not even going to mention Sandheim because I don't want my fucking Twitter DMs blowing up for the next week. But, uh, I'm pretty sure this roster's staying same. It all depends on Nolan Patrick's health Ugh. as to whether they get a 3C, uh, Derek Broussard-esque player to come in and, uh, pick up some ground there in the bottom six but other than that i don't think they're in on the hoffman trade i saw one of the flyer sites release a thing like that oh the rumors for hoffman are picking up bullshit because i don't think you're gonna get him for you know two million dollars so i don't think anything's gonna happen from here on out well that's another thing that's been showing up a lot is like the nolan patrick like i was talking with a guy yesterday and he said well for me the 3c is patrick's spot to lose i'm like how like how is it his spot? Like, for me, it's Frost's spot to lose. Yes. Be because his competition is literally Scott Lawton. I don't think Giroux is going to play that role in unless it's, like, a dire circumstance. Like, guys are hurt I think and he whatnot. starts on the top line. And exactly. they go from there. If, if he needs yeah, to be demoted, then he gets demoted. But I'm pretty sure they're going to give him the benefit of the doubt and start him with uh, Couturier and Voracek or Konechny again. So... That's what I'm expecting as well. So it's literally Lawton or Frost in my mind. Like, even Patrick, even if he is healthy, which I'm still not buying until I see him scrimmage in something other than non-contact with Ryan White. Like, I don't, I don't put a lot of stock into that. Like, I'm not trying to be down on the kid, but, like, you're playing with a guy who was a fourth liner five years ago in a non-contact scrimmage. Like, yeah. I'm sorry. So it's Frost or Lawton, and we know what Lawton is. I've said it how many times? He's a middle six winger or bottom two center or bottom line center. So the path is there for Morgan Frost, but some people are still saying, well, if Patrick's playing, it's his spot to lose. How? How is it Patrick's spot to lose? Like I would argue that Patrick starts on the fourth line at center or on the right wing of the four, of the third line. That's what I like would assume it, as well. If Patrick is cleared and he can play, he's probably going to start fourth line because they're going to give him as little time as possible. I mean, they did the same thing with Lindblom when he came back. He was a fourth line winger in the last two games of the playoffs. They're not going to, you know, you can't send him to the AHL yet because there is no AHL. If the season starts in mid-January, like they predict, I believe the AHL is still scheduled for like mid-February. So you've got a while there, you know, to, to play him in. My guess is he's the fourth-line center uh, for the time being, and, and Frost is your 3C, however much that's not ideal. Uh, that's probably how that ends up working out if Patrick is ready to go. Jim, where do you stand on that, like the whole 3C, people putting a lot of stock into Patrick? I don't like it. I think, uh, number one, I feel like they're getting their hopes up, and I feel like... It, after a year, the last year and a half that we've had with Patrick, I think getting your hopes up is uh, potentially setting yourself up for disappointment it's there. It's only been 19 months. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, shit, five, five more months and that's two years of no Nolan Patrick, really. I mean, and, and from, for all we know, he could potentially not play again. Like we haven't heard, sure, he's scrimmaging, but we haven't heard anything like he's cleared to play or he's ready to go. We haven't heard jack shit, really. I so last time I heard anything on Patrick was they're going to, he's going to fly down to Philly whenever the time comes. And, you know, get put through all the tests here and then test himself in, you know, the Flyers uh, training camp and, and, you know, whatever that may be this time of year. Um, and then they see what's clear. Then you see if he can go. And Okay. But here's the thing with that. You know, if this was a normal year, it would have started in October. It's now yeah. the middle of December. And he theoretically is not good to go yet. That's not good. He has been out so long. Like, this is what I was thinking about. He has never even practiced under Alain Vigneault. Wow. No, not a real full practice. He was skating with the team for a while in February, but he was not around for the contact stuff. Like, he, he's so far removed from this group. Like, and again, like, I'm not trying to be down on the kid, but another thing is, is, like, people are acting like he was shredding the league when he was here. Yeah, yeah. It's like... And don't get me wrong, like, I, I like the way he played. I think Anthony Sanfilippo brought up with us, like, the best thing that I saw out of him was when he played that Simmons role in front of the net. Yeah. Like, that tripod. You know, he's a bigger guy, right shot, and whatnot. But, like, aside from that, like, people are treating him like the Flyers' ace in the hole. Like, if he comes back, then that's it. But it's like, even if he does come back and picks hits the ground running... He still had a long road of development before he became anybody to give a shit about. He's going to have to start from scratch, essentially. You know, he hasn't played in so long that what is there to even work off of at this point? So here's the thing. So you know how people were talking about Frost? He hasn't played an NHL game in however long, and you can't just insert him into the lineup. I mean, this is a guy who hasn't played in almost two years, a full season, and he's we got want like to throw a year off more than Patrick does. Yeah, and we're thinking that he's going to step right into the three C role. So then another point here, and this was going to kind of tie in with my who do I want as the three three C. You know, Anthony brought up the point that he's never even practiced in front of Elaine Vigneault. Do we all of a sudden think that Elaine Vigneault was going to say, yeah, you know what, that's his spot to lose? I haven't seen him practice one time yet. Everything that we've seen from Elaine Vigneault is you have to earn your spot. You have to earn your spot in the lineup. Yeah. And he's just going to gift this 3C spot to Nolan Patrick, who has never even practiced under him. I, I just don't see that. And I've said it many times before that I I like that style. I like the, the uh, mentality that you have to earn your place on the roster. If you want to be the 3C, you need to practice like the 3C. This guy hasn't played. He hasn't even practiced in over a year. So I I really, from that standpoint, I hate the idea that we just expect him to be 3C. I would and, like this. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. Finish your point. No, I, I would like to see Frost start out as the 3C and Patrick kind of take it back from him. I would love to see that, you know, it, it, but only if, you know, Patrick is playing better, not so much Frost fails, if that makes sense. Um, so he has to kind of jump into his spot, you know. And like to piggyback off of your point is like since Patrick got drafted, it, he's earned nothing like the Flyers organization just awarded it to him like they drafted him and literally 20 minutes later they're just like hey Braden Shen out we're gonna yeah. clear the path for you 
You're the second line center right off the bat. You're going to play on the top power play unit. You know, he got a lot of reps in there over Simmons. Like, there was no internal competition for Patrick right off the bat. They didn't say, like, okay, well, you're going to have to beat out Braden Shen for that second line center spot. You're going to have to, like, prove to us that you should get power play time over even Travis Konechny. Because up until, like, uh, I would say up until Scott Gordon took over, like Konechny wasn't getting consistent power play time, was no. he? But Patrick, it was like as soon as he was drafted, Hextall and that old regime was were literally just like, okay, like this is our guy. He's going to take us into like the next generation. And in theory, that made sense. That should have been like, the case. <laughs> but it was like anyone and like maybe i was just like i saw more of it up close because i'm in canada and like yes he was the undisputed number one and up until the world juniors that year and that's when nico Hishier kind of took him over but even though he was the undisputed number one like it was just like he's injury prone he's not going to be an offensive dynamo he's kind of like that all-around guy like he has kind of a weird attitude like he was never projected to be like a matthews or a mcdavid or even like a barkov like and it was just really ignorant for Hextel. And I remember when they won the second round, uh, the second overall pick. Like, he's just like, you know, this is our big day for our organization. Like, it changes everything. And, like, yeah, that is true. But, like, you traded Braden Shen the same day. So you took a step backwards and you put so much stock into this kid that it was just, I guess, to close the point that Jim started is, like, it would be nice for this guy to finally earn something with this organization. Yeah, and you brought up the Shen trade. I'm I'm wondering now. I mean, obviously, if Frost pans out and he, you know, he ends up this guy that we were all hoping that he can be, like 60, 70 point player. You look back at that trade, and you could argue that it was a bit of a mistake, you know, because they I end up having piece. to go out and <laughs> I have they a have piece to go ready out and to go get on a Kevin that. Hayes because of that. And uh, I just I can't bring myself to release it. I I, <laughs> I don't want to deal with the blowback or something like that because the Twitter is gonna fucking hate me. But yeah, like, it, sure, it's, all it's this a reasonable Morgan... question. I, I mean, listen, Frost and Farabee are gonna be fine. Especially, I really do like Farabee. Frost, I'm not entirely sold on yet. Quite frankly, if this were a regular year, a regular year, he should have started in the AHL. But given the you know covid situation the hl delayed and, and the more likely expanded nhl rosters he's probably here in some form or fashion this year which means you're gonna have to play him because you can't let this kid sit in the box even longer so you know it's gonna be tried by fire for the kid but at the end of the day like hello <laughs> these are two guys that are still you know works in progress in an era where you need to start going for it and you can't wait around for these kids to you know take their time and develop anymore you know Braden shen as inconsistent as he was is at least, you know, a guy who knows what he's fucking doing and he's been on the block long enough that could have helped this team, you know, propel a little further into the uh, playoffs and, and leadership role. But now we're back. We're trapped in, like, a perpetual 2017, you know. Yeah. We're in that we should be going mode, but now nah, we got to wait because player A's not ready and player B's not ready. And then we get stuck because they all need new contracts. They get signed. And all of a sudden you're not on those team-friendly ELC, uh, ELC deals anymore. And then you're stuck. You know, paying fucking Eric Gustafson instead of getting a real defenseman. Well, go ahead, Jim. No, I was just going to say, I really, I like Farabee a lot. I think he's going to be a very solid player. But, like, that move, like, 
set them back even further mm-hmm. than I feel like they really needed to be set back. Right. You know, like Braden Shem was an okay player, he was a sixty point guy, which is probably what Farabee's gonna be. Uh, I don't know. Just makes you think a little bit. Because Frost, who knows? But Farabee's going to be legit. For some reason in my mind, I was thinking they got Frost and O'Brien. So now that trade doesn't look as bad as I, I thought at first. <clears throat> well, look, like it depends which way you look at it. Because from a pure value perspective, it was a good trade. Okay. From a pure so- value perspective, you could say the Flyers probably won. Because I think there's a fair chance that Farabee becomes a better player than Braden Chen. Like, let's say we fast forward three years. Like, if you told me Farabee is a better player than Braden Chen, I'd be like, yeah, makes sense. But then you look at where the organization was at the time, and they were an organization where, from the outside looking in as fans and, let's say, you know, like reporters, you'd say, well, it was their time to win. They were three years into the Ron Hextall rebuild. They were entering 2017-18. Goss' Spears hit his stride his best season. Provrov had his breakout year. Giroux, Katoria, you know, 17-18 was this, like, that year where, like, everyone exploded and was seemingly the last year where all these guys were still in their primes. Like, I'm pretty sure even Wayne Simmons was playing at an adequate level that year. So, if that was the case, then it wasn't probably the best idea to take a guy who was good for 25 goals and 50 to 60 points off your roster and effectively replace him with nothing because for because Farabee didn't make the team until this year. Frost still hasn't made the team. And I guess you could say, well, they drafted Patrick and inserted him in, and they had gotten Valtteri Filpula the year before. And I think Filpula was an okay stopgap, but it was, it was too much addition by subtraction in terms of that deal. And I think for where the Flyers were at at that time, it wasn't a good trade. Because they shouldn't have been in that rebuilding phase still. 17-18 should have been the year that, like, you should have been trading Braden Shen. You should have been trading for a top four defenseman. Like, that's the way I kind of think about it. Like, that year, 17-18, they went in with a forward group that was still very good without Braden Shen. But their top four on D included Andrew McDonald and a rookie Robert Hag. Hmm. And they That's still pretty bad. And they still finished top three in the Metro that year with Elliot and Neuvert. Oh God. So think about if they hadn't made that Braden Shen trade, they would have kept him and instead they would have traded for a top four defenseman. So I guess that's where I kind of look on the trade. Like from that a year was like value- peak Ron Hextall failure. Like that's where yeah. shit just fell apart. You know, he was he was too invested in his own process and his own timeline he had planned out for himself. You know, ten years or something, and we were only like four in. Well, we can't compete yet. No, no, no. And then you got screwed with him. You traded Jen. You got an okay roster. And then soon after, Simmons fell off, which was detrimental. And now you have Drew who's falling off, which is going to be even more detrimental. And you're hoping that Frost and Farabee, you know, Claude Drew Jr. and and whoever the fuck people compare Farabee to, you know, are going to pick up that role and and listen i do like Farabee. i assume he moves over to left wing this year at some point um hopefully claims one of the top two spots if Lindblom isn't quite ready or if Giroud declines or whatever that's the only way he's probably gonna get more ice time but uh yeah i liked him in the uh playoffs I liked him in the playoffs you know the kind of the power play net front role that we were talking about with patrick i think Farabee did uh, incredibly well considering jvr sucks 
<laughs> but um, yeah, it, it was a weird. It kind of like defined his entire tenure. Where that should have been go time, and he was still more interested in in hoarding first round picks that ended up you know not being anything overly special. And here we are, three years later, still stuck in the same goddamn rotation. Uh, yeah, I think he made a good point when you said he got too invested in his own process. It's almost like his stubbornness kind of did him in there, right? Like, like I don't understand why you had to do it for that long. Like, just meet halfway and break it. Break Like, I don't know. They had a decent core, but he just kept going and, like, digging the hole deeper and deeper, you know? It, it was frustrating. And it, they're, I feel like they're still kind of recovering from that a little bit, you know? Um yeah, they were able to go out last year and sign a decent free agent. They're getting, I think I said it on HW. I think it was a show you might have been on, Dan, or, or maybe not. But uh, Fletcher's doing a, a hell of a job getting some of these guys under contracts. And I think, uh, you know, we were all over Hextall's cock a couple couple months ago for, for getting these guys, excuse me, like Couturier and Gossespierre under contract. I mean, <laughs> somebody on Fletcher's... Twitter gave Fletcher contract for, uh, Fle- gave Fletcher praise for the Couturier contract. <laughs> wow, really? What? <laughs> like, look what he's done. He's, he's gotten Provorov, uh, Konechny under pretty really uh, solid deals, and then he goes out and gets, uh, why am I drawing a blank here? Hayes for a decent con. I mean, that, that was a little bit of an overpayment, but it was a restrict, uh, free agent contract. Limblom. Um, Limblom was a cherry of a deal, and then, he, and then he just signs Myers to a hell of a deal. I mean, I, I don't think anybody saw 2.55 for three years, maybe two. Yeah. Um, that was a hell of a deal, man. Myers is he's legit. Well, because with Ron Hextall, if you take the Katoria contract away, he was terrible at re-signing players. Like that Voracek deal is an abomination. It really is. Yeah. JVR. And JVR. Shane Goss Goss Despair. Like these are like these are contracts that like and we'll just let's zone in on Jakob Voracek for a bit because I still say, like, when people say, well, let's trade Jakob Voracek, you can't because at the end of the day, he's still a first-line winger. He's still a guy that will get you 60, 70 points a year. And because of that contract, you will never get fair value for him. If he was making what he was supposed to, even seven, seven flat, and you put him on the market, a lot of teams would at least sniff around. Yeah. But how many wingers make that kind of money? How many wingers in the NHL? Pardon me? I'll look into it and you keep talking. Like, off the top of my head, it's Mitch Marner, Nikita Kucherov, Miko Rotnin, Patrick Kane, Panarin, Ovechkin. Is he even remotely in that company? Yeah, wow. Like, it's you don't pay wingers that much unless they're like elite game changing game breakers. Like, he kind of falls into that Vladimir Tarasenko category, and I'm pretty sure Tarasenko makes seven flat. So I, I kind of get frustrated with Yakov Voracek because, and I get frustrated when people, like, rag on him, and I'm guilty of it too. Like, I've gone on here and wanted to, like, assassinate him before. But it's because you look at that contract and you're just like, he should be a game-breaking, game-changing winger. But in reality, he's just an average top-line winger that got vastly overpaid. Okay. There are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 wingers in the league making more than him. Marner, Kane, Stone, Kucherov, Rantanen, Panarin, Ovechkin, Ben, 
Jeff Skinner and Claude Giroux. That's it. So I would take almost all of them over. With the exception of Skinner, I'd take everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I'd probably take him over Ben. Ben slowed down a lot. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. What's frustrating with Voracek is he could be so good if he could just do it more consistently. His consistency drives me fucking nuts. And it has for years and years and years. You saw, you know, we talked about it before in the show, like, from December on, he was fucking great. You know, he was working hard every night and kicking ass and taking names. But then there are times when he goes out there and he's so disinterested. And he's passing to nobody and he's slow and he's not shooting. And it's just like he doesn't care. And when if he's not invested, he's not playing hard. He's nothing. You know, the consistency, it just drives me fucking nuts with that guy. If he just gave more effort all the time, he'd at least be kind of worthwhile. That's what frustrates me even more about the whole Hextall era is because it's been known that Voracek's uh, an inconsistent player pretty much throughout his entire career. Yeah. And then you turn around and, you know, make this guy an assistant captain of your of your franchise and you lock him in for 100 million years. And it's like, what do you really expect to trickle down? You know, this is one of your top guys. People look to this guy for leadership, for whatever, in the locker room, and he's inconsistent. And now we're looking at an entire team. You know, you could pick three or four or five guys, and you go, this is an inconsistent guy, this is an inconsistent guy, and the team's inconsistent. You know, I think that was – I like Voracek as a person. I like him as a player sometimes, but I think that was a massive mistake. And we don't really talk about that. Is this going to be here like 15 years total if he lives through this contract? It's, some, it's like 13 or 15 years he's going to be with the organization. Mike and, and Manny, we talked about that on Brotherly Pod last time. Is there any other team in the league that has had the same core of players as long as the Flyers have? Not just, maybe, success. Not just one or two Black players. Hawks. Like the fucking no, – the Blackhawks have had Kane and Patrick. But the entire team. How many of these fucking people have been here forever? Giroux, Voracek, Couturier, Lawton, Raffle. Like, these people, forever, <laughs> with no success to show for it. And people are still, well, we can't trade anybody, Daniel. Fuck. That's <laughs> Well, the, the, th- the problem is, like, I was actually thinking about this last night. Like, uh, I'm a city bus driver, so, like, when I work late at night, like, sometimes all I do is just think. And I'm just like, fuck, what a travesty this team is, you know? <laughs> like, and, like, I remember the first year that they, they you know, did that changeover and they treated Richards and Carter. And, like, you like they brought in all these young guys, like Simmons and Shen and Voracek. And I was just like, yo, this is going to be sweet. Yeah. And I was thinking about how much I liked Voracek. And I'm just like, wait, what fucking line was he playing on back then? And I started thinking, I'm just like, yo, in the playoffs, he was playing on the fourth line against the Penguins with JVR and Talbot. Wow. Because, and maybe you guys, maybe I'm wrong, but I remember- Eight years later and JVR is still on the fourth line. (laughs) But, like, I remember it being Hartnell, Giroux, Yager. Yes. Shen, Briere, Simmons. Yes. Wellwood, Katori, Reed. Yes. And then JVR, Talbot, and Voracek. God, it would have to be, wouldn't it? Like, so, so he was on, like, a third-slash-fourth yeah, line. I think they went back and forth, but... But nevertheless, like... And look, and then he had the... Then he eventually went up to the top line with Giroux and Hartnell, and he was great. Then the the year following that, in 14-15, yeah. 
him and Giroux had gr- that crazy season in an otherwise horrible year. I think they each got like 85 points or something. And Rafa was on their wing the most of it. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying to myself, like, yo, like, this is sweet. He's going to get like a six and a half dollar, six and a half dollar, six and a half million dollar contract. Much better. And then <laughs> they signed him to this massive contract. And I was just like, why are you investing this into a right wing who's eclipsed 70 points like twice in his career? That was the perfect example of getting paid in your contract year. That one good season in his year, and they fucking signed him for an eternity because of it. He's Imagine they just traded him. <sighs> At the time, you mean? Yeah, like that contract year. Because think about it. In 14-15, they traded Coburn for a first, a third, and Gudas. Yeah. And the first turned into Konechny, and they used the third on... I forget who they used it on. Ron Hextall's downfall is not getting rid of those players at the time. If you knew you were going into a rebuild, what the fuck are you signing these people for eight years for? You know, yeah, you could have gotten you rid of Voracek and, and Shen and Simmons and, you know, all these people that you had then when they had, you know, their value was at their peak. Trade them and get some first-round picks. That way, Liney could already be here, you know? Get some goddamn talent here. But no, he wanted to keep a roster that was just good enough to be a bubble team and fail miserably when they get to the playoffs and then hoard first round picks in the off season. And then you get this, whatever the fuck we have now this middle of the road ground that Fletcher has to you know, steer through poor bastard. You know, what's crazy out all the names that you mentioned making over 7 million, 8 million. I never ever put Voracek in that category with nope. those players. Like I don't know, I don't really know. Like he's not a star. Like do people around the league see him as a star? I don't, I don't Absolutely. think so, right? Uh, I often wondered about that with a vast majority of this roster. Like this fan base holds so many people in high regard. Like Shane Gossesbear. What the fuck do people think around him around the league? Or or Travis Konechny? You know these players that are are untouchable by this godforsaken fan base. Like I just I often wonder what other people perceive players like. Because if you tell me to like. Anaheim's second line right wing. Uh, fuck, I don't know who it is off the top of my head. You think I care? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. think anybody possibly cares? Even if you ask an Anaheim fan who Travis Konechny is, you think they have any idea? Probably not. Well, like, look, I live in Canada, so I could kind of give you, like, a, you an go. alternate perspective. Like, on TSN, let's say. Like, I always watch TSN. When they bring up the Flyers, they, like, everyone talks about Claude Giroux. Like everyone does, but they've, but everyone says now, like, you know, he's lost his step and he's no longer in that star category. That's how they talk about Giroux. But up until, let's say, this year, because now a lot of people are talking about Provorov, a lot of people obviously are talking about Hart, like people up in Canada love Carter Hart because of what he did in the World Juniors. But aside from that, you know, over the past, let's say, eight years, the only other guy they talked about on Philly was Simmons because of how much of a unicorn he was. And, you know, he was just this big, power forward. No one ever talked about Jake Voracek. Yeah. Nobody. But at the end of the day, like, how many people are going to go on extensive conversations about a 60-point winger? Not to say they're a dime a dozen. Like, And, again, like he's a, he's a first-line winger on almost any team, yeah. I would argue. But is he anything special? And I think you can make that case about a lot of the players, especially up front, because now I think the vast majority of this team, you can make that argument for. And like, Jim, you say this all the time. You say it all the time, but like 
they have good players. And I think like Provorov's a star on the back end, Hart's a budding superstar. But up front, they just have a bunch of good players, but none of them are like stars. Yeah, they all need somebody. They all need another guy. Like I always say it for JVR, and I know JVR is not a star, but if, if you want him to produce, he needs a guy. If you want Voracek to be consistent, he needs a guy. Uh, I guess Coots could could be that guy, but he I don't I don't see Coots ever scoring more. Like let's say in a perfect season, more than eighty five points. We'll get, you know we'll what I mean? We'll get to him in a minute. Don't worry. Like everybody on this team needs a guy. Like there's nobody that can yeah. come in and and do it for everybody else. You know, like they're missing that guy still. Um, and I guess that you know they're going to take this whole team approach and. You know, they built from the net out, which I think is the right way to build a team. But uh, I, I think as fans, we would like to have that guy on offense where everybody can feed off. Because those are the kind of players that they have. And, you know, there's like a disconnect, I think. And I think in regards to Sean Couturier, like if you are talking about him being like a dominant all-around defensive player, yeah, he doesn't need anyone. Right. But, you know, Dan said it how many times. Like, it's no secret that the only time he finally hit his stride offensively and was a consistent 75 point guy was when he was playing next to Claude Giroux and Yakov Voracek at times there's no one guy on this team that and look they tried it with Voracek how many times in the season where like Frost came up and they would put let's say Giroux, Couture and Konechny and then they would put Voracek down with Frost if he was actually an eight million dollar player he could have elevated Frost's play, but they don't have that guy. Like, Giroux used to be that guy. You know, Michael Roffel was a passable top-line winger for a season or two because he was playing next to Claude Giroux. Yeah. But now Giroux isn't that guy anymore, and I'm not going to hold it against him because he was that guy with absolutely no help for so many years. But they don't have that guy anymore who could drag a guy up offensively. Again, you could probably put... Us, one, two of the three of us, and next to Sean Couturier, and we'd be a half decent shutdown line, but we're going to score no goals. Sean Couturier, when he crosses the offensive blue line, he isn't anything special. Mm-hmm. Like, when has Sean Couturier ever, like, crossed the blue line and, like, ripped a shot bar down? <laughs> like, never? <laughs> Maybe once or twice? In, in and that's what I was kind of looking for him. See, uh, I think towards the end of the year, or at least in the playoffs, when this team was flat, right? They weren't scoring any goals. I'm like, it's not going to be Giroux that's going to step up here. Like, he's a, uh, he's clearly a step behind. He's a little older now. I think he's 33, 32. Someone else is going to have to take the reins for this team. Someone else is going to have to step up and make that, you know, that uh, that career play, the one that everyone's going to remember and I think Coots had a goal against the Islanders, but didn't do very much after that. Maybe he scored again off a deflection or something, but they don't have a guy that's going to come in. And the first play that comes to mind is that, remember that Richards goal against Montreal? Yeah. Uh, coincidentally. That I still see highlights like, of every week, 10 years yes. later. Yeah. And dude, you know that he was the guy, yeah. right? He was, he was not going to let the team lose. Like if you needed a guy to step up and make a play, he made like four of them on that one shift. Yeah. Who's the guy today on this team? There's not. There's not that guy. And that's the biggest so, problem with this this team approach. And we talk about it, you know, it works during the regular season, not the playoffs. You know, you had four 20-goal scorers during the regular season. But, you know, none of them were overly spectacular. And you get to the playoffs when you need that guy, you know. And they did it twice, Montreal and the Islanders. Like, yeah. the only reason they even 
beat the fucking Canadians was because they couldn't score themselves. Mm. Like, and then you go against the Islanders, a team that had, you know, Matt Barzell and Anthony Bavillier, they can go on there and and light shit up. That's exactly what happened. You know, you can expect a lot out of Carter Hart, and that poor fucking kid stood on his head the best he could, but when you're getting literally no offensive support and get shut out in Game 7 in an embarrassing fashion, you know, like, you need that guy. You talk about Richard's shift. Drew had the shift against the Penguins in 2012. Mm, there you go. You know, when he wrecked Crosby and scored. You know, have they done anything since then? I think Eric Gustafson had, had one against years. the Rangers. But other than that, like, who else had that shift? You got nobody. You know, you, and that's why I begged for a guy like Patrick Line all summer long. And all the fucking flack I took for the past six months for writing that piece. You know, or Jack Eichel. Couturier for Eichel. You know, somebody. You need a star. This this bullshit kumbaya team approach is not going to work. Konechny is not the fucking answer to your problems. I promise you, okay? He's not. You need somebody who can lead this fucking team offensively. Giroux is old as fuck. I think he's 33 in January sometime. That's like 500 in hockey years. You know, he can only go for so long. He's going to have silky smooth hands till the end of time. But, you know, he's not going to be as fast. He's not going to be as vigilant. You know, he's probably going to be on the third line, as we've hinted to already. Like, you need that guy that can go, but is also in the age uh, the age range as the core you're building around. The Farabees, the Frost, the, the Provrovs, the Sandheims, the Myers. These kids that are in their early 20s. You know, your entire core right now is in their mid-30s. <laughs> you, 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 the, the the lineups don't work here. I don't know. You just this shouldn't be that hard, and this fan base makes it so hard. And then Fletcher doing nothing all summer long. Like restrictions or not, you should have done more than you know. Bring in Eric Gustafson to fix your fucking power play. Bring in a sniper to fix your power play. That'll work. Get rid of JVR who's gonna drop the anchor, <laughs> Jim. But you know, like, that's what Farabee's for, right? Like, give him that opportunity in that role and hope he succeeds or hope Patrick comes back and be that net front, uh, net front presence. Fuck. So from 08 to 2011, you had Richards, like Dan just eloquently described. And then from 2011 on, you had Giroux leading the charge. But who was number two down the middle in the, all those years? Danny Briere. And Danny Briere, you can make the case for that in big game situations he was more effective offensively not all around but offensively than Giroux and Richards were and the Flyers don't even have that and look I love Kevin Hayes but he's not a guy like Danny Briere he's he's more of another Sean Couturier he's like a poor man Sean Couturier and thank god they got him because I don't even know where the fuck they'd be without Kevin Hayes but it's just another example of what they used to be as to what they are. You know, Couturier can't produce the same way that Giroux could nine years ago. Hayes can't produce the same way Briere could 10 years ago. And then you can make the case, well, Briere didn't kill penalties. Okay, that's fine. But back then you saved the killing penalties for the guys in your bottom six. Like when Blair Betts and Ian LaPerriere and Daryl Powell and Claude Giroux when he was still the third line center they would kill the penalties and yeah I guess it's great that you know your top two centermen are top penalty killers but not every team goes by that rule like you know 
the 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 Maple Leafs, you know, they don't trot out Austin Matthews and John Tavares to kill penalties. They don't. Uh, the the Capitals don't trot out Backstrom and um, who is it? Kuznetsov to kill penalties. They have guys like like in the when they won the Stanley Cup, it was Lars Eller and Jay Beagle, those types of guys. The Leafs trot out Zach Hyman and those types of guys. They got Jason Spets and now now Joe Thornton. Like, yes, it's good to have those responsible players. Like, you don't think that Sidney Crosby could kill a penalty the better than half the guys who currently do. But those aren't the main reasons for your top guys. Your top guys shouldn't be, like, all-around penalty killers because you can go out and find those kinds of guys in free agency. Like, like to say, like, it is a lot easier to go out and find a Kevin Hayes in free agency than it is to go out and find, like, a Danny Briere in free agency. Yeah. And it just seemed like back then when Holmgren was running the team, they didn't take risk on who would lead the charge offensively. They'd be like, we have guys who we know we can produce, and then we'll make it work with guys who will kill the penalties and be those all-around players. Because at the end of the day, you can teach guys how to play defense, like we saw with Scott Lawton. When he came up, he couldn't hack it as a top-six guy, and he had to change his game and become a defensive-minded forward but you can't teach them how to score goals and be an offensive force. Okay, you can go back to Hextall again with this because every year it was draft a two-way forward, draft a two-way Good center. character two-way guys. Yeah, like draft a fucking superstar. How about that? Draft doesn't even have to be a superstar. Just draft a guy that can put the puck in the net, that can go out there and is out there for one thing and one thing only. I don't give a shit if you can't play defense. we got 60 other guys that can do that. Or, or 11 other guys. That was always Get a thing, guy like, that can uh, score. Nick Nick would be here because he can go on this Flyers puck sauce rant. But, you know, when he compares JVR to, you know, Patrick Lyon, and he goes, but JVR plays defense. Like, who gives a shit? You know? He's theoretically your third or fourth line left wing because he can't score. You know? Like, if JVR could fucking put the puck in net every now and again, he'd be a solid second line left wing at this point in his career. But he's not because he sucks. So now you gotta. Yeah, he's not getting paid seven million dollars to play fucking defense. No. That's for sure. Yeah, paid that's seven it. million dollars to score thirty goals, which I don't think he's ever done in Philly, has he? Jeez. No, not with the Flyers. And I get the whole sentiment that you know we should be able to play good team defense, build from the net out. You got your stud phenom goalie. You have your solid six uh, core defense. And then if all your players know how to play D, you're going to be pretty tough to get scored on. And and I believe that defense ultimately wins championships. You know. But as a fan, I just want to I want to see somebody rip fucking shots, dude. And I want to see 40 goals. I want to see 30, even 35 goals. I'll settle for 30, 35 goals because the NHL, I mean, it's it's tough to score 40 goals, you know. But I, when I, when you look at this roster, it's like that guy's a lock for 30. That guy's a lock for 35. There's nobody on here that's a lock for 30 goals. Maybe Konechny, right? And I, I think... <laughs> I think Farabee. I think Farabee could be a 30-30 guy one day. It's, he's too young to say it now. Uh, Lindblom's got a shot at 30, but all these guys have shots, right? JVR's got there's two 30-goal seasons under his belt with the Flyers in his career. Uh, with the Leafs, one with the Leafs in 13-14 and one in 17-18. Uh, Never hit yeah. 30 with the Flyers. In fact, and he's only are... hit 20 twice with the Flyers in five years. He but sure, go tell me who's a 30 goal scorer, you fuckhead. He needs a guy to play with, JVR. And it's not catering to JVR. Guys to play it's just, with. If you're, if you're going to be stuck with this guy, 
you have to find a guy that allows him to play the way that he only, he only knows how to play one style, right? So you're stuck with him. So you have to put him with a guy that's going to bring that out of him. If not, but then you have to bring paying- down your entire team to circumnavigate with JVR, which they tried all season long, by the way. He was getting chance after chance after chance after chance after chance and did nothing with any of them. But if you get if you get what you want to get out of him, it should give your team a little bit of a boost. And let's face it, he's really he's mostly here to score on the power play, which he doesn't do. No. And he wasn't doing it, but I, I I can't I think he was mostly on the second unit. I can't remember off the top of my head. But uh, if it's me, if I'm the coach of this team, and it might be different this year because we're only going to see 50 or so games, I would start him out with with Giroux on that third line, and I would it's beneficial for both I think because JVR uh, Giroux can save his legs for the playoffs and whatnot. Uh, JVR gets paired with the the guy that he needs to be paired with. You know, unless you think that Frost can step in right away and, and play that way. But I think it's beneficial for both. Give one of these younger guys a chance right on the top line. Pop Faraby up on the, the second line, whatever, Lawton, whatever. They can find a way to, to make that happen. I think that's the only way you really get JBR going. You just can't build around this guy, though. That's such a fast, <laughs> accurate approach to what you need to do here, is giving JBR another chance. How about you build around Joel Faraby? And get him yeah, going. I, How about you build so around you, Travis Konecki and get his stupid ass past 24 goals? How about you build around Sean Couturier and see if you can make him a fucking offensive force? Something. I agree. But you got, you can't keep building around JVR. Seven million? I don't give a fuck. That's the, that's the Andrew McDonald approach. Oh, he's making five million, so we have to put him at 1D here. Because fuck everything else, right? You can't. I don't give a shit what they're getting paid. If you suck, you suck, and you don't play. You can't move the contract. You may as well just sit here and eat it. Let him fucking sit in the penalty box and eat fucking chicken and Pete's fries till the end of time. And then we move on in three years. Because you're fucked. There's no way out of this guy at this point. You can't convince me he's good. No, I'm, see, here's the thing. I'm not saying that he's good and he's all of a sudden going to be this world beater. But you'll see more goals from him. He he needs a complimentary guy. So JVR is a complimentary player. Sure. He's not the guy that you're going to feed the puck to, right? And I'm not sure... We were, we've been talking about how the Flyers don't have that guy on this roster. JVR, I'm sorry, Giroux is the closest they have to that guy still. As a third-line center, you would imagine that his competition's not going to be the same as when he's playing on the top line. So he should be able to produce more and in turn help JVR get going. Now, I don't know who you're going to put on the right wing. You can figure that out. You could bump Faraby up to a top-two line. Well, like, look, like, I agree. Like, I've been saying for a while that I would rather start Giroux on the third line and you go Farabee, Couturier, Voracek, Limblom, Hayes, Vor- uh, Konechny. That's what I would do. That's what I would I do think, as well. Yeah. Because another thing is, is that the Flyers are an especially fast team. Nope. And I think Farabee brought that speed. Yeah. And he's a guy that would complement Couturier and Voracek well. And he's a guy with a nose for the net, like, We've been talking about a goal scorer that they need. Like, he's the guy that has the best chance to be. So I would personally do, if it were up to me, is the third line would be JVR and Giroux on either wing and Frost in the middle. Because then, you know, like, and I don't even think that's ideal. I still think that they should invest in, at least as just like an emergency situation, like an Eric Howla or Derek Broussard or Carl Soderberg, like just in case. Because if Frost 
like if he doesn't work out, then you're left with Lawton playing there. And then that line is just going to be defensively responsible, but they're going to generate next to nothing offensively. Lawton, JVR, and Abe Kubel. Yeah. Or, or you slide Giroux into the middle and you put Abe Kubel with him and, J- and JVR. Like, I just... No, thank you. The, to circle back on Frost here is, like, so much is riding on this guy hitting the ground running. Yeah. Because, like, if he hits the ground running and he's in between, let's say, JVR and Giroux on that third line then, you know, things look a bit different. But it's just that what-if factor. And I think, like, I was talking with a guy about Frost yesterday because I put out a tweet, like, saying, like, if he isn't a... Well, first I'll throw it to you guys, this question. If he isn't a full-time member of the roster by the end of the season, do you guys start to get concerned? I'm already concerned. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, If he's not here full-time this year, then you're playing the long game, which shouldn't be happening with somebody of Frost's caliber. And I think people get so defensive yes. about Morgan Frost because he's their last ace in the hole. Mm-hmm. Like, for all these people that bought into Ron Hextall and were balls deep in this prospect approach, he's the last guy who hasn't come up yet that everyone has been furiously masturbating over for the last three years. Because, okay, you can make the case that Farabee isn't fully developed. And that Limblom, obviously, with the cancer diagnosis, his development hit a snag. But aside from that, Provorov has pretty much hit his peak, as has Travis Konechny. Hart, okay, he's obviously going to improve, but he's already here playing at a high level. Sanheim, Myers, yes, again, small room for improvement, but I would argue that their improvement is just going to be counteracted by... The, the regression of guys like Voracek and Giroux and JVR and those types of guys. So I don't know how much of their improvement is actually going to push this team forward because of the older guys naturally regressing, you know, father time. Frost is the last guy that isn't here yet that in the mind of a lot of fans could say, well, when he gets here, it's going to change everything. And then we're going to be the cup contending team. And they don't want to acknowledge that there's a possibility that even after all this drafting and all this waiting and all this hyping up and all these top 5,500 prospect articles that come out, this team will just be a playoff team. And Dan and I touched on this one of our last shows, and I'll, I'll throw it to you, Jim. After all these years of rebuilding, are they not just marginally better from the team that lost in seven games to the Rangers in 2014, which is basically when this rebuild started. Yeah, it's true. And I think I may have liked that team a little bit more than, than I do now. Uh, Yeah. And I think that's why I started to get a little bit frustrated. And I, I think Jack's been calling me negative for like the last two months, but we've been talking a lot about, you know, what is a playoff team, you know, because before, before the playoffs this this past year, I thought this team could go all the all the way to the cup. They could win the cup potentially. Like that's how hot they were, and that's how much I believed in this team. I thought they they lacked a little bit of toughness, and it came out in the playoffs. It showed that you know it was I was right to be worried about that because they got their asses whooped against bigger teams. They they escaped against Montreal. People forget that I think uh, they were lucky to get to seven games against the Islanders. Carter Hart bailed him out, I think, for a couple games there. Um, this team is a very, very good regular season team. I really believe that. 
However, when it comes to playoffs, I think they'll struggle to get out of the second round again. And if they get matched up with a, a tough team in the first round, they may struggle to get out of the first round. So, yeah, I think that's a, a good comparison there. I, I'm not I'm not confident in this roster now that they can go to a Stanley Cup. And, you know, that kind of sucks because of how positive things ended last season. At the same time, though, it's hard for me to say they took a step back. They just didn't take a step forward with this roster. That's one of those things that I've seen on Twitter. Like, I've seen people try and spin it as, oh, well, it's the same team, which means they got more chemistry together now. They've been around longer. It's the same group. They know what they're doing. But it's like, in the counter to that is you tried it last year and it didn't work. <laughs> you know, you didn't win. And in the process, you lost Matt Niskanen. Who's your number two defenseman? You know, your your lateral move at absolute best, and depending on how this defense pans out, which is not freaking ideal by any means, you could be, you know, a step back. It, it's it's just I don't get it. I don't understand the thought process behind just being okay with what what's going on. And there's I got a couple dumb tweets here that I want to read. One I showed with Ant. I don't think I showed this one. NBA, but I saw it on scrolling last night. I don't, I don't know who this person is. I don't follow him, but somebody else liked it, so it appeared on the TL, and it says, I can't take anyone seriously talking shit on the Flyers last season. Y'all were scared as hell of them in March, and the mistake they ended up making was playing too well in the round robin, pitting us against two teams with chaotic play styles. That's an une uneducated take right there, I feel like. That is a take of somebody who, and, and I've talked about this before, people that were not fans for a long time. People that have probably been fans since 2015 and all they know is fucking terrible mediocrity. So they see this team last year that's a step above terrible mediocrity and they're like, look warm mediocrity. And they think it's fine, right? <laughs> you know, the, 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 the reliance on the nine-game win streak that I assume they're referencing there in March. Like, do people remember what happened before the nine-game win streak? This is a pretty wishy-washy team for a long time. They were winning games, but they were nothing special from October to you know early January till they had that nine-game win streak. And they played too well in the round robin, so they lost in the playoffs. It's quite the take. Yeah. Well, Theoretically, like, you took first place in the round robin. You should have been matched up against the worst teams, which weren't fucking Montreal and the Islanders, who probably neither one of which would have made the playoffs to begin with, but you got your asses kicked because you're a fucking soft-as-shit baby team. Well, the way I look at it is that, like, I don't think anyone really shit on them last season. Because if I look back, let's say, before last season started, so late summer 2019, they got to where I expected them to go. Like, if you told me they would have lost in seven games in the, of the second round, I would have been like, yeah, I see that, and I would be content with that sure. because it's a, it's a step forward. I think people, and myself included, got frustrated because of the way they got there. Yes. was so damn embarrassing. But, you know, Dan and I have talked about this a bunch of times, and I would assume J uh, Jim feels the same way. Sorry, I almost called you James because I saw your name on the Skype <laughs> thing there. Sorry. <laughs> I accept all forms of Jim James, Jimmy. <laughs> so it was um, – where was I going with this? Oh, yeah. So if COVID never happened – I think they would have gotten to the same point, but maybe just wouldn't have looked as horrible getting yes. there. Yeah. Because for all intents and purposes, the only reason they got to seven games against the Islanders was because Varlamov was so shit and Hart was so good. Yeah. And, you know, they dressed a different goalie for game seven and they got stomped. So 
But it's not that of what they did last season. It's the fact that, okay, you guys took a big step forward. That's great. But now you've done nothing to advance this team. And you could make the argument that they're worse because you swapped out Matt Niskin for Eric Gustafson. And it reminds me a lot of what happened from 07-08 into 08-09. Like 07-08, they were coming off of the worst season in franchise history. They went out, they got Briere, they got Hardnell, they got Lupul, Jason Smith, Kimo Timnan. And then in, they went to the, sta- to the conference final and they lost in five games to the Pittsburgh Penguins. And they got stomped, but you could make the argument that they would have gone a bit deeper, but Timnan was out with a blood clot and Coburn got hurt and that was their top pair that year. That offseason, they lost Jason Smith, they lost Darian Hatcher, and I know everyone will scoff at them, but they were big parts of that defense the year prior. And they went back in with, you know, the same goaltending tandem, which you could argue wasn't the greatest with B-Roll and Nitty Mackey. And they went in by moving sideways. Like, they did next to nothing that offseason. They got worse on defense. They relied on hopes and dreams of Lucas Spiza hitting the ground running. They were hoping that Claude Giroux would make the team right out of training camp that season. And they went into 08-09 with a slightly worse team than 07-08. And what happened? They got stomped in the first round by the Penguins again. And it just mirrors this offseason what could happen next season. Because they're going in with virtually the same team except maybe a bit worse on paper, except the team back then was probably the best offensive team in the league, but they were shit in net and on defense and didn't have a great coach. And the team this year is pretty much the polar opposite of that in every position. But it seems like they're just going to go in with the same team. They're going to do about the same thing, finish about the same place in the standings, and then they're going to come toe-to-toe with the Islanders and get stomped again in the playoffs. I don't know if you guys see the comparison from the 08-09 team to what I'm seeing this year. Yeah, I get it, for sure. It's just, it's, you're going in to beat your head against the same wall that hasn't broken for six or seven years. Like, we know what the problem on this team is. We know what it is. They don't have scoring. And you can make the argument that they're not very tough. They don't have a lot of character. And you did nothing to address that. Like, even if you would, let's say, give them all the benefit of the doubt. They couldn't get Patrick Liney. They couldn't get this guy. Alex Petrangelo told them to go fuck themselves. Like, whatever. Even if they would have said, okay, well, we can improve the defense. Niskanen walked on us. We can't get an improvement. We can't get a score. Even if they would have just gone out and overpaid, like, Thomas Grice to be the backup. To say, well, now we've solidified yeah. our goaltending. That, that like was you the didn't... thing. I harped on that relatively early when they re-signed Elliot, And now I'm just kind of annoyed at it. But, fuck. Why? Especially, they knew it was a compressed schedule. No matter how you sliced it this year, they knew the schedule was being compressed. They're going to give the backup more starts because there's probably going to be more home-and-homes, more back-to-back. And you fucking re-signed... Brian Elliott, who's half dead at this point. What were they thinking? Like, at least find a backup goalie. Like, that's the absolute bare minimum they could have done this year to to improve the team. But now we're going to ride with Brian Elliott another year. And if something happens to him, then you still have Alex Lyon hanging around. And if something happens to Carter Hart, then you have Elliott and Lyon! Jesus Christ! <laughs> like, you really set yourself up for trouble there if something goes wrong, and... You can't even pull the, well, Carter Hart doesn't get hurt card. He's been hurt twice, you know, in, in his career. There weren't long 
you know, long-standing injuries or anything, but it's not like he's got a pristine record either. So something happens, you know, you're, you're all of a sudden throwing your goaltending into disarray and that's going to affect everything else given the, you know, the lack of goal scoring you have on the team and, and your who knows what's going to happen defense here. And the thing is, is that like they didn't improve one position. Like, even, like, when you went into the offseason, like, I wasn't sure that they were going to go out and get, like, a Pietrangelo or go out and get a Line. But I said to myself, like, I know they're going to get a 3C. They're not going to fuck with that again. Because all season long, how many different guys played 3C? Lawton, Frost, Giroux, Vorobiev, Grant, Grant Vorobiev. Thompson... Uh, I believe Rubesaw was up for a couple games. Exactly. Kasha was around. Like they tried it all at three C. Nothing didn't... happened. And but they just they said, eh, "Fuck it, we're good. We got Nolan Patrick. Morgan Frost is here. We're fine." So mm-hmm. that's to me is like they didn't just hone in on one position and improve it. Like it would be foolish to expect them to improve everything. But like I said, like you didn't even improve your goaltending. You didn't improve your defense. Like I even said, like. Before Niskanen retired, like, fuck, like, they would stand to add another top defenseman. Like, I was saying they should have maybe gone out and added Martinez at the deadline. So you could have gone with Martinez and Braun as your third pair. Like, Hague and Braun were adequate, but they weren't, like, the best third pair in the NHL. Now you lose Niskanen, you get Eric Gustafson, which, like, okay, whatever. So your defense takes a step back. Like, even if Niskanen retired, like, you dropped what? seven million dollars or something between Haig, Braun, and Gustafson, the three of them. Uh, like, you could have put that money into a relatively decent defenseman, had Provorov Ghost, Sanheim Myers, you know, whoever they would have signed, and Friedman. Like, that would have made a, an improvement. And, you know, Igor Zmula or, or Moran would have been your seventh and eighth. Like, you could have made moves defensively and <clears throat> I gave them the benefit of the doubt at the time that re-signing Braun and Haig were not panic moves after Niskanen retired, but you look back on it, and while their contracts are not bad, and one's, what, 1.4 and 1.8 or something like that, they're not bad, but they're two years, and you didn't go out and make any other improvements defensively. You settled for Eric Gustafson, a reclamation project often defenseman. Oh, by the way, you kept Shane Goss's bear on the roster, too. It just, the more I, <laughs> I was relatively okay with this defense earlier in the offseason, but, like, the longer I have to think about this, I wrote some, like, angry manifesto about it that I, I didn't put it out because it doesn't make any sense, but, like, it's just, just it's, it's like 2,000 words or something. I just wrote and wrote and wrote about this defense and everything goes wrong with it. I don't know if I'm ever going to put it out or not, but it just felt good to get it all out, but it's like, there's so many things that you could have done differently here. Even if you didn't get a Petrangelo, like, or a Krug or something, there were other guys out there that would have been better fits than Gustafson. And and somebody brought it up on Twitter yesterday. It's like, is anybody really comfortable with his defense? And I'm not. You got Prover and Myers essentially are your top pair, but outside of that, what do you got going on here? <laughs> you know, is there any other pair that sticks out as, oh, we got to try that? Sanheim and Braun? No, thank you. Ghost and Braun? Because that works so well in the playoffs. Haig and, you know, Gustafson? Or Braun and Haig? Or Sanheim and Gustafson? Like, no matter how you slice it, it doesn't exactly, you know, nothing really, really, you know, gets me going here. So, what do you do on this defense? It just drives me nuts. Every fucking show I have here, I lose my mind a little more on the defense, because every time I try and think about it, there's nothing positive that comes of, of the, the crew that they have, you know? 
You know, what's interesting to me is they're replacing Niskanen, a guy that they brought in to kind of help Provorov find his game a little bit. <clears throat> and they're replacing him with a guy that started out last year on the third line. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So he made the jump to the second line throughout the course of the season. And I know the plan – well, maybe maybe the plan was – hang on. <clears throat> Excuse me. Maybe the plan was to – have Myers skip Niskanen this year and ultimately play with Provorov on the top line. But we're seeing Myers is now forced to play that top line. And I'm okay with that because I'm kind of sick of waiting for like the, you know, the bringing these kids along slowly, right? Like these are professional hockey players. They're going to have to learn sometime, get them out on the top line, let them play. On the other end of that, it's, are we sure Provorov can play with Myers? Are we sure that he can still have, you know, play the same way that he played last year with Myers? Because I what was last year was Myers' rookie season, right? That was his official yes, rookie season. Official rookie, yeah. So I mean it was cut short. He started out on the third line. This year he signs the deal and now he's catapulted to the top pairing. I think Myers is going to be a great defenseman, but I feel like you have to kind of wonder a little bit. I don't want to say this team is going to take a step back because I I think they're going to be, I've said it a million times. I think they're built to be a very good regular season team, but there will be struggles though. I think as well, even if it's Sanheim, like, does anybody feel better about Sanheim and Provorov? I heard people say, oh, well, you can put Gosses Bear up there. Well, yeah, Gosses Bear had his best season playing alongside Provorov, but that was also Provorov's worst season was playing alongside Gosses Bear. So like, you really got to hope Myers makes it. And and the Myers uh, or Niskanen passing the torch to Myers kind of thing, naturally, like you were alluding to this year, kind of Myers overtaking Niskanen. Like, I think we're going to see that with, with Drew and Farabee, like we were talking about earlier. You know, Farabee kind of can work up to that first line spot and Drew can give it to him. And then Drew can go down to the third line and kind of work from there. Like, that's kind of, you know, the natural progression of players taking a step forward where this is going to be trial by fire you know you're, you have no choice but to throw one of these young guys in there that aren't quite as solid as they should be yet and i really like myers i fucking can't stand travis sandheim but like you gotta i don't know you're really putting these guys in pretty heavy situations and and if it works great if not then you're screwed and part of me year, likes that though because I'm so sick of hearing, like, oh, they're coming, they're coming. And then they're here, and it's like, well, let's bring them along. Let's yeah. string them slowly. It's like, dude, okay, I get that they're kids. Myers is 23 years old. That, yeah. I feel like you're on the brink of not so much a kid anymore. Like, you're a young man. Like, start to play like one. Like, here's your responsibility. You got the contract. Now let's go. The other thing that kind of, I guess, irks me a little bit is all these question marks with Provorov. For as pissed off as everybody gets, he's not on this list. He's not on that list. Why is it always like, well, he needs to? We're sitting here saying, well, who can carry Provorov? No. Am I still frozen? No, you're good. No, you're good. But um... God damn it! (laughs) All that heat for nothing. Lost all my steam. Yeah. But yeah, it's an interesting point you brought up, Provy. Like we're always like, man, somebody has to pair with him so he can be, you know, the greatest he can. Like, do you think anybody says that about like Shea Weber? Dowdy, or you know all these people that should, you know, these top defensemen in the league that are making up like Victor Hedman. They gotta be like, man, how can we play with Victor Hedman to make sure he doesn't suck? Hmm. No, they're great on their own. You know. 
He should be the guy that elevates his his D partner. Yeah. And I, I get that he's young. So, I mean, like, if you go back and look at, you know, he brought up Hedman, for example. So there is still a level of patience with me with Provorov. But I'm also sick of hearing, like, he needs to be catered. Where'd Jim go? <laughs> Sorry, I'm still here. I'm, I'm just going to try that because some, sometimes that works. Yeah, it might. Uh... I just take the video off. Okay. All right. Fuck, now I'm talking so. about. Now I have like a zoom in of Dan and like a picture of himself behind him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's my uh, cutout from the uh, Iron Pigs. Oh, wait. Do you have a zoom in of me? It's a, I see your picture. Oh, fuck. Yeah, zoom in. One, oh, one, three. Now you see my ugly ass mustache. <laughs> what the hell were you even talking about before you went off the rails? Jim was going on the Provorov rant. Mm. Okay, Jim, go for it. I don't have the same juice anymore. It's gone. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll pick it up. Uh, well, the thing about Provorov is that I think this season is going to be a very telling sign if we could put him in with like the Heiskanens and the Shabbats and the Hughes and the Makar. Because, you know, like those guys don't need to, you know, be catered to, like Jim was saying about, let's say, Niskanen. Or guys like that. Like, look at Thomas Shabbat. Like, for me, he's, like, the next, I guess you could say, Eric Carlson yeah. or Brent Burns. Like, he's the next stud in the NHL. He was playing with Ron Hainsey most of the year. Like, Jesus Christ. And and as much as people don't want to acknowledge it, but How old is bringing... Ron Hainsey now? Like, 50? Probably. Ron <laughs> But being a top defenseman in the NHL nowadays, whether or not you believe it or not, has to do with how much you can generate play up the ice as well. You know, the days of just being defensive first, like Darian Hatcher, those kind of guys, like, it doesn't cut it anymore. So, He's and like I 39. don't... Eh, it's he young 40 for in March, I guess. I thought he was like 45. He's been around for... I think he's ever. done now, though. Did he officially yeah. retire? I don't think he re-signed with the Sens. But... But, like, it's just, like, another, like, with Provorov, like, I'm just not sure, like, if he will ever be, like, an elite-level defenseman just because, well, like, he has a really good shot from the power play on the back, but he doesn't really, like, drive play, if you know what I mean. Like, he's just, like, incredibly sound in every aspect of the game. But a certain part of being an elite defenseman is bringing up the play of someone else as well. Like when Mark Mathot was a top pairing guy with Eric Carlson. And obviously Mark Mathot did a lot for Eric Carlson. I'm not taking that away from him. But it's no secret that as soon as Mathot got taken away from Eric Carlson, we've never heard from him again. So I think there's a lot to say about, or we will have a lot to say about Provorov after we see him in a season without Matt Niskanen. And he's going to be with either Phil Myers or Eric Gustafson or what have you. Didn't Sidney Crosby cut Mark Mathot's fingers off? What? I, yes, he did. Something like that. Or chopped him off or slashed him off or something. He slashed his fingers off? I think so, yeah. With a, with a hockey stick? Yeah. Or maybe a skate or something. Was... Like he skated on his fingers. Let me see. March 13th, 2017, Mathieu suffered an injury when Sidney Crosby, during a home game against the Pittsburgh Penguins, slashed him on the hand, severing the tip of his left pinky, requiring 10 stitches to repair the severed fingertip. What? Crosby was not suspended or fine. 
<laughs> and another thing that I was thinking about is how many teams in the Eastern Conference do you think have a worse center depth position than the Flyers? Because that's really starting to concern me a bit here. The and that was supposed Eastern to be a strength last year. Let's see. Well, like, off the top of my head, Ottawa, Florida, Carolina. Those are the only three teams that – and New York Rangers. Who's uh, 2C in Buffalo? Stahl, oh, maybe? Eric Stahl. Oh, that's so, right. Yeah. You got Eric Stahl. Yeah. yeah so I would have loved on the Flyers. God, I would have loved Eric Stahl on the Flyers. Because for me, like, Toronto has better centers. Montreal has better centers after what I saw in the By playoffs far, Suzuki. Yeah. Then you have the Islanders with Barzell, Nelson, and Pajot. We know what's going on in Pittsburgh. We know what's going on in Washington. We know what's going on in Boston. Tampa Bay, we know what they're all about. Columbus, I mean, you guess you could say they're neck and neck, but I think Pierre-Luc Dubois is on the rise. They got Max Domi. Uh, Boone Jenner's their third line center. So oh, I would say they're name, deep. By the way. Boone Jenner. <laughs> One of my buddies is Eskimo Brothers with them. There you Just... go. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so, like, I would say maybe Columbus is even with the Flyers because I guess you can make the case that Hayes is better of a second line center than Max Domi. But it's just like, again, like there's just not one area that the Flyers have right now that I could say is definitely better than the vast majority of the rest of the teams. No. Like, I think last year when you had Niskanen, you could have said that they were in the top five, maybe with defensive groups. But now you take Niskin away, and they're still probably above average. And to Jim's point, a lot is riding on Myers and Provorov and Sanheim. And if they could really like be the core of this team and not have to lean on a guy like Niskanen. But offensively, I would say they're bottom 10 in the NHL. Goaltending, they're probably, because of Brian Elliott, like in the 10 to 15 range. And then they're probably that in defense, too, without Niskanen. And it's just, there's no part of this team that I'm overly optimistic about. Like, because I said last year so many times, like, this defense is good enough to win a Stanley Cup. This offense is it, but their defense is good enough. I don't, maybe it could be. Like, maybe Provorov and Myers and Sanheim take so many leaps and bounds that they get back to that point and potentially even better. But it's just so many what-ifs. There's just so many, like, if every, and this is another thing. If everything hits, like, if we give them all the benefit of the doubt and everything pans out, are they not just pretty much where they were last year? Yeah. That is the thing I've gone on and on about, both writing and, and show-wise, all off-season long, has been the what-if factor. There's, there's, there's like, two dozen of them you know, throughout this entire team and roster. You know, what if Brian Elliott holds? What if Frost makes it? What if Patrick comes back? What if Myers takes a step? What if Zamula's ready? What if this? What if that? And it's just like, you can't assume every one of those what-ifs is going to be a positive outcome. You just can't, you know, there'll probably be two or three that hit and the rest of them are going to be, you know, spinning in mediocrity like we have for the past fucking decade now. So one or two are going to hit. It doesn't matter which one or two it is. Hopefully it's, you know, Myers and, and Elliot's fake hip. But uh, I don't know, have to wait. Speaking of divisions, we may as well run down this point. There's actual news on the show here. Uh, via Pierre Lebrun, the 
divisional teams that aren't set yet, but they are here. Uh, Boston, Buffalo, New Jersey, Islanders, Rangers, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Washington. Then you got Carolina, Columbus, Detroit, Chicago, Florida, Minnesota, Nashville, and Tampa. And Tampa is just going to wreck that fucking division. <laughs> then you got Anaheim, Arizona, Colorado, Dallas, L.A., San Jose, St. Louis, in Vegas, and then you, of course, have the Canadian division, Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, Winnipeg, Tampa, Ottawa, and Montreal. Yeah, what a what a crew. Well, did they say, like, how the playoffs are going to work? I don't think they've got that far yet. So, well, like, do you, okay, let's just say top four of every division make it. Do you think the Flyers get in? Yeah, I think so. Let's see. They're not I'd... beating Boston. Why Pretty not? much whatever happens there. Boston, I think, took a step back, too. Buffalo sucks. Jersey sucks. Islanders are going to make it. Rangers are probably going to make it. Flyers are going to be in Pittsburgh and Washington. And six of the what are there, nine, eight teams. Even if you want to exclude Boston, Islanders, Rangers, Flyers, Penguins, Cavs. Watch out for the caps with Lavi too. Yeah. Watch out for that. Yeah. And like, fucking Henry Blomquist. We all know how Lavi fucking does in his first year with teams, and he's gonna be licking his chops with that offensive group. Yeah. That's true. So let's say the caps are a lock. I would still say Boston's a lock. Like yes. they're kind of like in that Pittsburgh. You can't group. rule like, them out. Yeah, exactly. Like you, until they do it, they're gonna make it. The Islanders, for me, are a lock. Like, so Washington, so they're, so I would say that Washington Islanders are locks. Are Columbus is with them, or are they in the central? Columbus is in the central. So Buffalo's out. Carolina, is that with them? Uh, Carolina's, it is uh, Boston, Buffalo, New Jersey, both New York teams, Flyers, Pittsburgh, Caps. So Carolina's in the central. Yes. So the only two teams I think you can really truly write off are the Devils and Sabres. And maybe the maybe. Sabres got a little jump in their step from Hall. Maybe he and Eichel come together and start tearing oh, shit apart. You know I don't I think so. About that. But maybe they were they... hanging around for a good portion of last season, and then they kind Until of just they fell took off a dive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again. But, so uh, that's interesting. Yeah. Their, their goalies are still kind of uh, iffy. They still have Carter Hutton and uh, that yeah. other fellow. Allmark, I think. Kid. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the Rangers for a bit because that's – and I know that they're not especially good down the middle. Like, you know, their second-line center, I believe, is still Ryan Strome. But, like, if their gut kids, you know, hit the ground running this year, you know, Lafreniere and Kako, I know he had a bad uh, rookie season. But if they start going, in addition to what they already have with Kreider and Zabanejad and Panarin – their goaltending tandem may be the best in the NHL this season. Yes. With Shesterkin and Georgiev. On the back end, okay, you still have Truba, Dan's favorite, Tony D'Angelo. Um, did they add him? Jack got Johnson. They added Jack Johnson. They got rid of Brady Shea, which I found a bit curious. They got Adam Fox, Anthony Bittito. Jimmy can help me Bittetta. out on that one, you stupid fucking yeah, you got it. Italians. And Brendan Smith and Ryan Lindgren are back there. Well, Lindgren is is quietly becoming a really sound defenseman. 
Adam Fox is a stud, Trubo, whatever. So their back end is, let's say, worse than the Flyers. Their offensive is better, and I would argue that their goaltending is going to be better. As an overall, yes. So, you know, I say you could throw the Rangers basically on par with the Flyers. They're going to be in the mix. So you, so like, it's not a lock here for the Flyers to get in, like by any stretch. And it's not to say that they're not a good playoff team. Like, I think that they will get in ultimately, but it's again, like they did nothing to separate themselves from the pack. And, you know, I heard a lot of people making the argument this off season that, well, you know, the, the, the Metro has never been worse. Okay, granted, but if the Metro has never been worse, what, isn't that all the more reason to go for it this year? <laughs> Take the extra step, yeah. Because the Rangers are only going to get better. I think the Islanders are only going to get better. You know, sooner or later, you would have to assume that Buffalo figures it out. The Devils are in that category as well. The Sooner or later, they'll figure it out. They'll be the, you know, the Oilers. They'll get too many first-round picks and eventually get somebody good. You know, next year, Columbus and Carolina are going to slide back, like, to this division. Yeah. And, like, I don't know. And the Flyers, they're not in one of these positions, like, let's say, a Toronto, where their whole core is, like, 22 years old, and it's just, like, eventually they're going to get their heads out of their asses. But no, like Jim said, their core is in their early 30s. This isn't a scenario where eventually it'll work out. Like, they're regressing. Like, the window's closing here. I don't know if these young kids are good enough to take over. No, I don't think they are. There's no future Claude Giroux here. The only person that can take over Couturier's shoes even is Kevin Hayes, and he's, what, 28, 29? Yeah, they're like the same age. Yeah. It's not the... uh... As much as people love to be positive and take last season as a plus and the you know, the lack of moves in the offseason as a plus, yeah. They could easily be just as bad. I think that worries me tremendously. Well yeah. Jim, I got a question for you because yeah. I said I brought this up uh maybe a month or so ago. I said when I look at the way the Flyers are running things, my take is on it is that their hockey ops department knows that this team and core isn't good enough to win a Stanley Cup and they don't want to invest like mortgage the future to go out and get a guy to add to this club that ultimately won't win but the business part of the organization doesn't want to sit through another rebuild and therefore they're staying kind of like in this stagnant like spot would you agree with that so that could be and uh, I think that's kind of the along the same lines as, you know, this team's good enough to get into the playoffs, so they're going to make the playoff money type thing, right? They're good enough to create buzz, but they're not good enough to get over the hump type thing. And I don't—I'm just going to be honest. I don't want to believe that. That doesn't mean that it can't be true, but right now uh, I'm in denial of that, I guess. Like, I really don't want to believe that that's the case because— you know, it, this is all fresh and it's new and we have the coach. He's been to two Stanley Cups. He's won, you know, multiple president's trophies. And it's like, it's there. Like, they're set up to make a cup run. Do they want to take the steps now to do it? Because they're not complete yet, right? And we know that. That's what we've been talking about. When you look at the team, like you guys are talking about now, it's kind of like, okay, do they want to just let, do they want to ride out Claude Giroux 
and then move forward with these younger guys because they do have a, a young nucle nucleus that they could move forward with. And, you know, hopefully Patrick Frost, uh, Konechny, Lindblom, you know, there's a that's a, a core there, a core of players. They have a couple guys coming up still in the pipeline. I'm thinking guys like York, uh, Brink, who's the kid they drafted this year. I mean, it's a couple of years off now, Forrester, Forrester. but but it's like we're so close. Doesn't it feel like they're close? They they need to like make another move or two, and they're a legit contender. I mean, with the, I feel like that's why I've been screaming about a line A deal for how long. Yeah, you, know, you got to get that one guy that's gonna, you know, take you from this mediocre team to to being something special, and at least give you a fighting chance. You know, once you get to these playoffs, and just you know, I, I just don't see a happy ending here unless something changes. It's gonna be the same thing. They're gonna make the playoffs, and with these weird ass divisions, you have an even better chance of facing you know the Islanders again in the first round. Depending on how they go, you may face you know one of these other fucking teams that are gonna come in and just crush you. You know, the fan in me wants to believe that they're going to make those moves. I so don't have a fan in me anymore. I'm I'm going to remain optimistic. It's been a long while time. also while also recognizing, you know, that it is a business and they just got crushed, you know, with the pandemic. They missed out on all that playoff money and all that good stuff. So I do recognize, you know, that they could run this team like a business and go, hey, we have Carter Hart. We're going to be competitive no matter what for however many years. Let's just ride things out, you know. But the fan in me is like, come on, go get one more guy. Go get that Patrick Line. If there's a, uh, a hope and a prayer, go get William Melander somehow. You know, make it happen. You know, I'm still going to let my hopes get up. But at the Can same time, yeah, I could see that happening. That Nylander rumor for a minute. Where the fuck did that come from? Yeah, I don't know. That Nylander for, for Sanheim. It was just totally out of the blue one day. Some random, you know, one of those NHL trade rumor sites posted it. And boy, did that cause a fucking stir. I was all for. I think it popped up on a leap site. There's something, and it's like, first of all, the trade makes absolutely no sense. Like in, in either way, it just seems like one of those deals that would never fucking happen. But I put on Twitter that they should absolutely do it, and boy, were people unhappy. <laughs> one of bitch being Dan Silver, which I always find entertaining when he's angry, because he, he was all on the line A trade, you know, moving connecting or something. But he's well, we can't move. Well, on the same time, today alone, he was promoting fucking Linus Hogberg being good in my TL. And it's like, you're talking up Zamula and York and Hogberg and all these players, you know, taking the next step defensively. But you can't move on from Sandheim! And if people are so worried about this defense living and dying by Travis Sandheim, why didn't you get a fucking defenseman this summer? <laughs> How? You know, like, this, this defense should not be centered around this fucking guy. You're going to sign him next year, five by five or something incredibly stupid like that, and then all of a sudden you're going to have York and Zamula come up and pass him in the depth chart, and then you're going to have Provorov, Myers, Zamula, York as your top four. You're going to be paying your fifth defenseman $5 million for five years, and he's going to suck. Isn't there a defenseman already on this roster that's getting paid an obscene amount of money to be really bad? Oh, yeah! Shane Goss is bare. They're the same fucking person! God! The fa I, you gotta stay away from this guy. If he Listen, I reserve my right to change my opinion on Sandheim. If he comes out this year and looks like a fucking competent defenseman, then great! I'll gladly admit to that in a couple months from now, but for the time being, God! Do not invest long-term in this guy. Just don't do it. It's not the right thing here. Trade it for Nylander! Fucking Here's the thing. Guy. I don't think Sanheim ever puts up 60 points in his career. Absolutely not. 
All these so, people that like scream for him to be on like the power play unit and replace Provorov. I believe he's got uh, one power play goal in like three seasons now or something like that. Yeah, but it's the fault of the three coaches. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's the thing that I don't get either. Because so a lot of people are like, "Yeah, get him out there. We got to see him on the power play." And I'm like, "Well, why? Why isn't he on the power play? Why haven't they put him out there yet?" And it's not because I want to see him out there. It's because I'm seriously questioning his ability on the power play. Like, you'd think that if he was that good, the coaches, they see him every fucking day. They'd be the guys that go, let's get him out on the power play. If they so my question any is, kind of threat, they would have put him out there. Yeah, I'm like, there's a reason why he's not on the power play. What is that? He's got it's be, 19 it's goals in 200 games, two of which were on the power play. He's not even producing offense. Like for me, for it, me, it's sorry. Go ahead, Dan. Even on like an AHL level, he wasn't that great. He had 11, 12, 13 goals in about 110 games or so for the Phantoms. That's not that great. Even Myers was producing better numbers than that. I would more, I would gladly put Myers on the power play over Sanheim at this point. I don't know where this idea ever came from. Even in juniors, he wasn't producing that much. He had two 15 goal seasons. In 67 games and 52 games. Not even like it was an offensive dynamo back then. Where did this idea come from that Sanheim is like this be-all, end-all offensive defenseman that needs all these opportunities? What the fuck? But it's because, like, look, the Flyers, I would say 95% of the time run four forwards on the power play. Like, almost every other team. Yeah. And Sanheim isn't exactly a guy who does well under pressure. No, I not at all. He makes all his worst mistakes when he's pressured. Dude, and so the true. Flyers, as is, aren't exactly the greatest team to defend when they're on the man advantage. Like, fuck, I think they're the worst team in the NHL. Like, when they break down at the blue line and fumble the it's puck, bad. it's a fucking shit show. Yeah. So I think the reason why they insist on Provorov's there is because you have to have the best guy back there in case something breaks down. <laughs> he was always one of them. He'd miss the pass and it'd go all the way back and he's slow as shit and can't do anything and you fuck everything up. Now, that being said, I wouldn't be opposed to playing Sanheim in the Vorchek spot, like in the trigger position. I think he has a half-decent shot. Like, I would try it. Like, I, I'm, I don't know why there's such, like, a, like a, what's the word? Like an allergy, almost, to playing two defensemen on the man advantage. Especially when the Flyers, like, we just ripped them apart for the last hour and a half, saying that they don't have a lot of offensive threats. Maybe use their, you know, their embarrasses of riches, I guess, on the back end. You know, the best power play I ever saw that the Flyers had was when Team Nin and Pronger were on the point. Was Giroux, Briere, and Hartnell up front. Even so, Eric Gustafson has only eight power play goals in 221 NHL games. Awesome. So yeah. <sighs> now to, to your point there, Ant, when I think of Sandheim, the first thing I think of is if you pressure this guy while he's got the puck, he's going to turn it over. And uh, that was a huge detriment to the Flyers in the playoffs last year because that's how the Islanders played them. They played the strong four check when, when the younger D had the puck because they knew he was going to cough it up. And he does the same thing in the offensive zone. And that's exactly why you can't put him on the power play. You're 100% right. But I feel like you know, when it comes to these prospect guys and, you know, hats off to these people because all they could see is the positive things. When I, when I, I try to be a little bit more realistic 
Like Sandheim could be, he could be a very good player, but he's got major, major flaws, you know, and he's not this guy that you can put on the power play. And he's not this guy that's going to, you know, I don't think he's an anchor of your defense. He's, you know, it kind of, it, it really bothered me when people are going, put Sandheim on the top pairing with Provov. I'm like, you can't do that because Provorov is going to be playing more defense than what he should be playing because mm-hmm. Sandheim's going to be turning the goddamn puck over. He's just, he's almost the same thing as Gossespierre. In a way, you could say, I mean, I don't want to say that he's that bad yet, but he's never going to be as good as Gossespierre was in that one or two seasons at the same time. So it's like, what is Travis Sanheim? Is he a three? Is he a four? In the long term, if you sign this guy for big money long term, like it's undoubtedly going to happen. I don't think they're going to do it. See, I hope they don't. I hope they just let fucking Seattle take him or something. Just wash their fucking hands of the guy and start fresh with York and Zamula and move forward. Like, I I just, I, yeah, you can't even, especially if you can't move Goss's bear, which still has not happened. (laughs) I just. Remember what Anthony Sanfilippo uh, said regarding Sanheim? He basically, he basically echoed these points. Like, he isn't good enough right now to lock in long term. He even said that he thought the money they gave him was too much for what he had done. Yes. And when you have all these guys coming, like York and Zamula, and I, I personally think that York is going to be a star. And to be quite honest, I wouldn't be surprised if we sit here two years from now and he's overtaken Provorov as the number one guy on this team. But. I don't, but this brings me back to the whole, I would go back to, if it were me running the team and I had the green light from ownership, I would do a two-year reset. Because for me, I would cut your losses with guys like Giroux, Katori, and Sanheim. Those three guys, get rid of them, get all the assets you can. So by the time the 22-23 season rolls around, all these guys are kind of coming up together. Because... To kind of bring up what Jim said about, like, they're a couple moves away, I thought that, but with Niskanen retiring now, they it's not like, okay, you got to add another depth defenseman and then maybe, like, a scoring winger. Because, or, like, you could sacrifice a Sanheim because you had a Niskanen. If you trade a Sanheim for a Nylander, let's say, you still leave a hole on the back end, and then you got to go out and trade for another guy, and then you're gutting it from another position. Like, Dan has used this term a lot. Like, it just seems like this team is, like, rotten to the core. Like, it's just fundamentally fundament- broken. Exactly. Like, it's just, it's just too far gone. I think last year was their final kick at the can where they were able to bring in guys from the outside, like trade Bra- trade for Braun, trade for Niskanen, sign Hayes, give up nothing on your roster in doing so, aside from Radko Gudis, and no one gives a flying fuck about him. Actually, a lot but, of people did, which is the problem. <laughs> and now it's like, I just, I, I just, it's too far gone. It's too far gone. You can't... I wonder if that's what happens if they don't make the playoffs this year. If they get beat out by Pittsburgh and Caps and, and both New York teams, they don't make the playoffs. I wonder if they, like, sit back and go, all right, it's time to do some dismantling here. And, you know, and it'll be hard to move some of these guys and whatnot, given the cap will still be flat. But I don't know. You can only run with this same crew so much longer. You know, you got to give these young guys something to work with that's their age. And, and if Giroud takes another step back or doesn't, you know, even get back to what he was two years ago, like – you're in trouble here. You know, if Frost comes up and he's not as good as everybody says he's going to be. If, you know, Myers can't 
lock it down at one, you know, at number two D, or Sanheim can't make the jump, or like, I don't know, I don't know what you do. You're in this weird kind of middle ground thing here, and you know, and and the thing about trading is like, from a realistic perspective, you don't have a lot of trade ships. You know, as far as I'm concerned, the only two players you have that are realistically movable are the two Travises. You have Konechny and, and Sandheim. Outside Lawton. of that, Lawton, I guess, but, you know, it's not nearly as high as the other two. If you want to make a big ticket move here, you know, it's going to have to be centered around Konechny or Sandheim. And Lawton could be a nice little throw-in, I guess. But, you know, you're, just, you're, you're, you're in such a weird spot here, you know. And, and I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Well, Jim, for, like, Dan and I have said this a bunch of times, but, like, the whole Sean Couturier extension, like, that's a scary thought. Like, what do you think about that? Like, what he's going to command and whatnot. See, that this is an interesting thing because now I'm wondering if the flat cap uh, prohibits any kind of huge, like, $10 million contract type thing. You know, it's going to be a... Uh... I don't know. I think they should keep him. I mean, I love the guy, but See, I, don't... But, I don't know, man. He just, it was like, I think Dan has said it. He's gone from the most underrated player to the most overrated player. Yeah, I don't know if I see him as overrated yet, but I, I mean, I guess when you see shit like, oh, I'd keep him over Nathan McKinnon, then I guess, yeah, that's overrated for sure. Can we talk about that tweet, by the way? You saw that one? <laughs> Uh, I, I, I saw it the other night, then I shared it with Anthony and lost my mind. Flyer Sean Couturier played like a top 15 center in 1920. That's not the hot take. The hot take is how I put him ahead of Avalanche's Nathan McKinnon. A complete center uh, is one who... A complete center is one who backs it up defensively, too. Good English there, bud. Not just an elite score. Like... I believe it was you, Jim, that put out the poll like six months ago. Would you trade Kateri for McKinnon? It was like 50-50, right? <laughs> like, oh and I my was just being facetious God. with that, too. I never thought it was going to be 50-50. Like, it is a case plain and simple of like, people drink their own Kool-Aid, you know? They believe their own hype of what this guy is, and it's a complete unexposure to ever probably watching Nathan McKinnon. It's just like, I saw that, I didn't even reply to that tweet, because it's one of those things that would just absolutely lose my fucking mind on him, and, and, and I don't know. God, it's so, fucking fan base is just so full of itself, full of these players. Me, Nobody can do any wrong. Everything's this fine. Comes it's like back the tweet I read home. earlier. I don't want to hear anything bad about the Flyers this year, because they made the blabs. <laughs> do, do fucking people forget what it is to watch competitive hockey? Yeah, I think so. Watch a legitimate, back- you know... 30 goal score. Fuck! More than that. Give me, like, Lindros from back in the day. Give me LeClaire. Even Simone Gagne. You know, these people just don't have any fucking idea what it is I think to be a competitive hockey team. They're perfectly fine sitting here singing Kumbaya with Travis Connecting making fucking faces all day yep. and doing nothing at all. I just... Ugh! The fact that they were just a shred above mediocrity this year, and they're just fine with it. This generation, this generation has never seen. I mean, they saw Giroux at the tail end. Of- <laughs> if you're much younger than me, I would have been. And don't get me wrong. I would have been third. I guess I still would have been thirteen when the cup run happened. But I would. Well, don't get been- me wrong here, because Couturier is a very, very good player, and even still, I think in some ways he's underappreciated by guys like me. 
you know, who who don't notice all the defensive things that he does during the course of a game. Like I can admit that, but to say that you'd want him over a guy like McKinnon just just shows like your ignorance as a fan yeah. that you don't know what a superstar player is. You don't know what it's like to be to watch a ha, excuse me, a hockey game, and just be flat out in awe of a player every single fucking game. Nathan McKinnon would destroy Sean Couturier every single night. Yeah. Like he's on another level. I would, I mean, you know, this is debatable, but I would take McKinnon over uh, McDavid. That's how, that's how great I think uh, McKinnon is. And to, to say that you would rather have Couturier over McKinnon, I think is just asinine, borderline, borderline just stirring the pot. You know, I would hope that's what it was anyway, because that's just a stupid thing to say. Based off that guy's timeline, he thoroughly believes what he says. That was not wow. a shit stirrer comment. That was he fully believes what what he says, which is just insane. But I and and going back to the winning thing, like if I was thirteen when the cup run happened. If you're much younger than me, you probably don't even remember that. You know? Like the, all they fucking know is this shitty, mediocre fucking Ron Hextall era where, you know, getting your ass clapped in, you know, the first round of the playoffs by the Penguins is considered a good season. You know, they and don't they, know what they, they, they latch they on around. to. These- you know, they latch on to these shitty players. They latch man. on like, to these players because they say funny things and make faces and and all this bullshit. You know, I don't give a fuck. Liney can go back and play Fortnite all goddamn day long as long as he goes out in the ice and scores thirty five goals a year. That's all I care about. Yeah. I don't you know, these people on Instagram. Who gives a fuck? S- save for oh six oh seven, that horrible season. Yeah, that era between the lockouts. Like that was fun fucking hockey. Yeah. Like that that was a year where every single year the Flyers were like, you know, they were fathomable to win the Stanley Cup. Yeah. Every single year. And people don't remember that they were never waiting for a guy to come up through the pipeline. They were never like hoping, like, oh yeah, he's gonna come in on the back end and he's gonna save the day. Like when they want when they went to the Stanley Cup final. Every single one of those defensemen that was in the top four, which is the best top four D I've seen in my lifetime on this team, uh, they had traded for less than three years prior. They traded for Braden Coburn in March of 2007, Timonen in June 2007, Matt Carl in October of 2008, and Chris Pronger in June of 2009. They weren't waiting for all these guys to come up and save the day. And like, even, like, look at how they went out and got Matt Carl. Like, I touched on the 08-09 season, how they went in with just a terrible defense. And I don't know if you guys remember, they traded the the first-round pick that became John Carlson for Steve Eminger. Oh, and, he was, God. and he was just a fucking tire fire. And Paul Holmgren, like, not even a month in, was just like, Cape, you're garbage. Yeah. Eminger, Downey, they traded him for Matt Carl. And I wasn't the biggest Matt Carl fan in the world, but he was a legitimate top four defenseman. And we saw how well he did when he was paired with a guy like Pronger. Like, these are things that these fans forget about. And I'm not saying that that's the way that you have to build your team. You can't take that approach anymore. I'm not saying you should. But this whole thought process of, like, you know, you can't go out and get a guy. They don't know when it's go time. They don't know how to build from outside the organization. Getting that missing piece. They just sit here and hope that, you know, one day York's going to make it. One day Zamula's going to make it. One day Frost is going to make it. The thing with always waiting for these prospects after doing this for six fucking years, don't you realize that it's never the guy you want, it's always the following guy? 
Sandheim's going to be the guy. He's going to be great. Well, he turns out really actually sucks. Oh, don't worry. We got we got York coming up. In three years from now, we're going to sit here and go, oh, well, don't worry. We got player X coming up that they drafted this year. There's always somebody after because the players they're waiting for suck. <laughs> God. Oh, this is so fucking stupid. I hate hockey. What am I doing with my life? <laughs> oh, Lord. And you're just seeing now, like, all these teams that started rebuilding after them are, like, just racing by them. The Rangers, perfect example. Took them, this, what, three years, two years to get going? Would you be shocked if in, let's say, 22-23, the Senators were a better team than the Flyers? No, not at all. Would you be shocked if in 22-23, the LA Kings were a better team than the Flyers? No, not at all. Would you be shocked if the Rangers are? Would you be shocked? Nope. Like, even you could even make the case with Buffalo because they have Rosmus Dalian, who by all accounts is going to be a stud, and you have Jack Eichel. Now you added Taylor Hall. Like, if they just find some form of a supporting cast and they put it together, you can make the case for the Panthers, too. Like, they still have Alex Barkov. Like, it's just there's so many teams with young pieces in place that are superstars, and they just have to fill in the places around them. They have to fill in the supporting cast to get there. The Flyers have all the supporting cast players you want, but they have to find the superstars to, you know, put in front of them. Yeah. And we all know the only way you really get superstars nowadays is by drafting them. But the Flyers went through all those years where they were supposed to be drafting the core superstars of the team. But unfortunately, they never fully committed to a rebuild and thus never drafted a superstar. So all you did was draft a bunch of supporting cast players to fill in around Giroux, Katori, and Voracek, which theoretically at the time made sense because Giroux was a 100-point player, Voracek was an 80-point guy, Katori was coming into his own, but you waited so long that all those guys are exiting their primes. So now you have a bunch of supporting cast guys supporting guys in their early to mid-30s. So that's why it's not a case of Sooner or later, this will work because when all these young kids get here, we'll be great. No, when all these young kids get here and they're just a bunch of second and third liners, these old guys, like what? You're going to wheel out fucking Claude Giroux to like man the point on the power play? <laughs> and like, by the time they tear everything down and get rid of Katuri and Giroux, all these kids that are in their early 20s are going to be in their fucking late 20s and you're going to have to do this again in 10 more years. <laughs> Yeah, Jim, we've oh. brought up, Dan and I have talked about this, but remember, like, what we were, like, early Ron Hextall when you had Giroux, Shen, Katori, and Simmons, and, like, they were all in their prunes, but they didn't have the defense? Yeah. Can't you see it happening, but in the reverse now, but with Sanheim, Hart, Provorov, Myers, while they try and rebuild the offense? Yeah. I think until some of these, these top guys drop off, like Giroux, and I know, a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, they got to bring them back when the, when the contract's up. And I'm like, well, why? Like, that's $8 million off the books for you to spend on somebody better. Why would you, why do you feel obligated to pay him, you know, I'm just going to throw a number, $4 million out there for two more years? Isn't that a waste of $4 million? Like, you know what he is, and he's only going to get worse. Use the $8 million to go get somebody better. So I, and I guess that's another example of how people just latch on to these players i'm not attached to anybody on this team right i had somebody tell me over the summer that oh i'm not attached to connect me and then a couple days later when fucking pitlick signed with arizona they had a meltdown 
It's like, you yeah. are attached to these players, you assholes. Fuck. Why? How can anybody be attached to anybody on this team? Like, Jure has my respect as a player and always will, you know, but he could leave tomorrow and I probably wouldn't care that much. You know? <laughs> and as long as you get, you know, reasonable value, even Provorov and Hart, if you get reasonable value in a trade, if you trade Hart to New York for Shesterkin, who gives a fuck? You know, I don't care about yeah. any of these players. It's not like when I was a kid. Like, if they traded Gagne when I was 10, I would have lost my shit. You know, when Robert Esch left, I was furious. When they traded Forsberg, I was furious. Now, they can get rid of every single asshole on this team, and I wouldn't care. Right, because you just want to win. That's all yes. I want. Yes. I just, I just want to see a, a cup. cup before I die, which can be any fucking day these days. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll ask you guys something. Oh. Let's say you got hired as president of hockey ops, a general manager, and Comcast told you, you have carte blanche to tear this thing down. Kind of like Brendan Shanahan when he got when he took over in Toronto and Rogers told him, just tear it down, redo this thing. Let's say aside from Carter Hart, he's the only guy you would keep. Would you tear the whole thing down and start again? Absolutely. I would Absolutely. too. Even if it meant getting rid of Provorov and Meyer, I would, do- I would do it. Jim? No, I don't I think I and maybe this, I think I could piece this roster up a little bit. I think the defense is is fine. Uh, I mean, you could add a piece. Uh, offensively, though, I mean, especially with the expansion draft coming, hopefully Seattle takes a guy, you know, JBR potentially. I think you can still wiggle around a little bit. I would still try to piece you this need roster to tear together. Your entire offense down, though. That's the thing. The offense yeah. needs like the, the, the offense needs a facelift like none other. Yeah, I think things get really interesting when the Couturier uh, extension comes up. That's when things are kind of kind of be like, well, we're at a crossroads now. Are we going to move forward with with Coots and this is going to be the team, or are we going to completely facelift this franchise? You know, if they lock him in nine to, by nine, <laughs> like if they lock him into some egregious contract, and they go into the next generation with. Hayes and Katori. And look, now I'm saying Hayes two years from now. So he'll have four years left on his deal at $7 million. That's and let's say they lock in Sean Katori to an eight, eight by eight contract. Couture, like I Jesus may just, forever. I may throw in, throw in the towel. If they do that, if they, if they lock in those two guys for the next half a decade and they're both like past 30 years old, like, I don't know if it will be beyond saving Hopefully until... We have a better read on Couturier two years from now. You know, if he's still going at this level two years from now, you can at least argue. But if he drops down at all, you know, if he pulls a Wayne Simmons and just falls off the fucking cliff entirely, and then they still try and sign him long-term, then you're fucked. But, I mean, even at his age, he's had, what, three consecutive knee injuries or something like that in the playoffs, or three of the last four years or something? Like... He's already not a fast guy. You got that working against him. The fact that he can't really produce offense, and especially as Giroud declines, we're going to see a little more of that. You know, I don't know. He's in a really weird situation. I believe Mike was touching on this on, on Brotherly Pod last week. You know, like, if he demands money, if he wants that 9 by 9 deal, like, maybe just letting him go is the best thing here. Or, or trading him at the deadline before or in the offseason, trading his rights somehow. Because I, 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 I just, I don't know. I, He's one of those guys that definitely could 
ask for a big contract, but it it doesn't feel like that's the right move for the organization if it's anything egregious, you know? But theoretically at that point, what are we dealing with here? That's 22. So that would be the same offseason as Joel Farabee and Morgan Frost, who hopefully by then we know what they're dealing with. Myers is up the following summer. Hopefully by then we know what we're dealing with. Shane Gossesburg is still in the fucking books. JVR is still in the fucking books. <laughs> and, you know, depending on what they do with Hart, like, he may be up the following year. They got a lot of pieces here. They're going to need some big money. And considering shedding cap at this point is just impossible with these guys. So here's here's how I would look at it. If I'm the GM and the Couturier extension comes up, I'm looking at it as, did he develop into the guy that's going to take us over you know, to the to the promised land. Is he going to be the guy? And if he is what he is now, I would say no. And so it would either be time to move him. I mean, I, you know, you'd hate to let a guy like Sean Couturier walk because you can absolutely get something for him. Uh, they're going to be in a tough spot because you know they're going to be in a playoff race, you would assume, with this roster. And you're going to have to re-sign Couturier. I don't know. I don't know if you could trade him, but it's like, if he's not the guy, then you don't pay him and you use that money to go get the guy that's going to put you over the top. That's how I look at it. And it's it's easier said than done, I know. But that's I think that's a really that's a that's a turning point for this team. Are they going to take the next step or are they going to stay where they are? Okay, like l- let me ask you guys a question. Like let's say they're not on pace to make the playoffs this year. And a team like Winnipeg, who I think has a real shot to be the best team in the Canadian division, comes sniffing around on Sean Couturier. And they're a team that, okay, they went out and got Paul Stashney, but they could certainly look to improve um, down the middle as well. If they come at you and they say, we'll give you a first-round pick and Cole Perfetti and, let's say, uh, Vinny Hanola or Logan Stanley, like a middle-of-the-road defensive prospect to boot, would you consider it? Uh, yeah, I think I would consider it, but uh, I don't know if I'd be 100% sold. I'd probably need something like a player. I'd need a, a roster player. Uh, you said middle-of-the-road defensive prospect. But uh, Cole Perfetti, like, yeah. he, like, that's a guy that I could see being this the top-line center moving forward. Okay. Yeah, I guess only it, is- Yeah. No, go ahead, go ahead. No, I guess it just depends how much you value Cole Perfetti. Yeah, and he's like another, what is he, 19, 20? He just got drafted. Yeah, so he's another guy where you'd have to presumably wait a couple years to get the best out of him, right? I mean, but More he would hopes fit. and dreams. Right, but he would also fit with the same timeline as Farabee, Konechny, Provorov, Sanheim, you know, whereas a guy like Couturier is one of those guys who doesn't exactly fit, you know? I mean, he's closer than Giroux and Voracek, but yeah, I don't. It's a move you'd have to consider. I think fans. I I can tell you now, fans would absolutely hate it, but I, I think you should consider that. Yeah, that'd be a good day on Flyers Twitter. <laughs> Dan, what about you? Because obviously, it would be like a hopes and dreams type of move. But you know, listen, if they do that and they full on commit to tearing it down, because that's probably what that move would mean. Yeah, I'd do it. 
do that and you try and get rid of some of these other shitheads, cash in on something and, and, and start again. And it feels so weird that we're talking about this, you know, right on the dawn of a new season where hopefully they don't suck. But, I mean, it's a real possibility here with this Couturier thing and, and his contract and what, you know, what comes of him and how good he is, you know, can he remain even this solid for a long time? I mean, the guy's got some hard miles on his body. He played some heavy fucking minutes there against some top competition when he was on the third line. And, you know, he's been fine as a 1C, but being carried by Drew to whatever offense he is producing. It's a, it's a legitimate question as to what his future legitimately holds. So, I don't know. Have to uh, wait and see on this one. Man, do you do that trade? Me? Yeah. Um, look, I've been I've been against the whole hopes and dreams, you know, type of approach for a while here. But the way I look at it is that they're not gonna win. Like, I firmly believe that this defense, if you wait it out. In two years from now, it will be a cup contending defense. Yeah. They have the goalie to win a cup. But I don't think that this offense is or will be good enough for this team to win a cup within the next five years. I don't see it. Because all their best players are just going to get worse and worse and worse. And I don't think the progression and development of, let's say, guys like Farabee and Limblom and Frost will be enough to compensate for the regression of Couturier, JVR, Giroux, etc. If you could sacrifice this half season and maybe next to come in in 2022-23 with a guy like Perfetti, whoever you were to take with that first round pick, whatever other piece you'd get with that deal, and potentially moving at Sanheim for a similar deal, but obviously not with the same value, but then you go into 2022 with still a defense that are in their mid-20s, so they're, they still have a lot of runway left. Hart will still be 23-24, I believe. I think that's what I do because all I see here is if you don't make that deal and you continue down this path with Couturier and Hayes, you're just going to, yeah, you'll stay better in the short term but in the long term, you're not going to be a cup team. And that's where I think that I would just make that deal where you cut your losses and you... Was that a wolf? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know if I'm making sense here, Jim, but I yeah, guess I, I, I guess it just depends on how good you think this team is. I don't think this team is going to win a Stanley Cup as is now or in the future. And I don't think that they're in a position to go out and make a big Patrick line ideal. Here's and a question. So sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but no, I was done. With it being a shortened season, you know the the Flyers have notoriously started slow, 15, 20 games, and you know their top guys took forever to get going. Some never got it going in JVR last year. Would this be an ideal season that if this team comes slow out of the gates again, we're talking like 20, 25 games, could it be like the, that kind of year to go, hey, this is only a 50-game season. If we're going to make a move, let's make it this year. It'll be over in another 25 games. Let's let's start looking for next year. 
what do you think about that idea? Because if, if they start out slow, they're basically fucked. You're not going to catch up in 40 games, uh, 30 games this year. It's a good point. It's a very good point. And uh, it'll be it'll be over, so they wouldn't have to, you know, all that shit. That, so here's, I guess, my thinking. During the course of an 82-game season, if you start slow, 15, 20 games, you can go, oh, we still got 60 games left. If you start slow 25 games this year, you're, half your season's gone. You're fucked. Yeah. You know? If this season goes starts to go belly up, like you said, like 20 games in, like you're still like middling around near the bottom of the division, I think you almost have to shop Sanheim, get rid of him before yes. that contract comes up. Uh, I don't think they would do a Katoria thing, but I think that if this if this becomes another lost season and we continue down this path of one year in the playoffs, one year not, I think that's when me personally, I would look to be like, okay, enough with the Katoria experience. Let's move on. Okay. But yeah, absolutely. I think that if this season goes belly up early on, like guys like Lawton and maybe a Raffle or Sanheim, like those guys would be gone. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, his value's never been higher for Coots. I mean, I, I don't see him being moved this year, but yeah, like a guy like Sanheim, I could see that. Like, it's just not working out, pal. Like, we got to resign you next year, and we don't really want to, you know? But even Lawton, I've brought it up before, too, with Dan. Like, is Scott Lawton, like, now just kind of has no place on this team? Yeah. And it's weird because he had such a nice, uh, good year last year, and he's almost like the perfect kind of toss in player. Like, you yeah, could add real you know. value to your club, and he's not, he doesn't really have a spot here. And, you know, he's probably going to get a raise. Who knows with the whole a flat cap, but he's like the perfect throwing kind of guy. And a, a guy, a team like Winnipeg, I'm just going to use them because we used them in the last trade. You know, they could use a Sandheim and a, and a Lawton on that roster. So who knows? He's a valuable piece. That's a good point, actually. Well, Dan, like, where do you stand on this whole, like, would you plug along with this core or do something kind of like what I said? Like, especially if you take Jim's scenario into account of them maybe going belly up, like how would you approach it? I think it depends how bad it is. If this just sucks and they come out and they just can't get their shit together for whatever reason, you may have to consider doing something drastic. Otherwise, if they are a bubble team again and just happen to be on the wrong side of the bubble come the trade deadline whenever that is I wouldn't be opposed to moving a Lawton or even a Sandheim. get the fuck away from that guy before you have to pay him you know so you don't screw yourself later and I think that's kind of the biggest thing with these contracts for me is like you gotta be smart with this money you know as much as they're not necessarily cap strapped I think that's a little bit too egregious of a term because there are ways out you also have to be pretty careful here because there's going to be a lot of big money thrown around in the next few years to a lot of your young guys and you don't want to fucking price yourself out of Carter Hart's range because he paid you know one of these other guys you paid Sandheim or something you just don't want to do that you have to be smart with this kind of shit and and I don't know it, it just depends on how far they fall and quite frankly let's look at this from a positive point of view if they make the playoffs and they're first seed in the east now and they're kicking ass and taking names do you think they improve or do you think they go well ah, we're fine let's bring nate thompson back so we can play 3c <laughs> that's a good point yeah like is this the year if something good happens is this the year they go out and make the kind of deal at the deadline 
the cap may have other plans there, but you know, is it go time if they are good? That is the one thing I'm curious to see here. You know, I, I, like I said, I assume they're going to hang around in the playoff mix, but given the division, they definitely got packed here because all the shitty teams went into the central. So, you know, we'll wait and see. This is a conversation that we can definitely pick up, you know, four months from now uh, when we have a better idea what the hell's going on with the season and what it looks like. But, yeah, it, it, they definitely, it's a crossroads. They're absolutely at a crossroads this year and next year, and it'll be determined by the on-ice product this season and next as to how much tear down or improving needs to needs to happen to try and get a cup out of these shitheads before it's too late and you have to you know involuntarily till uh tear down well like i got a question for you guys because like we had san filippo on a few weeks ago yeah and just because we i had nothing to do last week i think it was i listened to the snow the goalie podcast from two years ago when they fired Hackstall and then when they fired Hackstall. And obviously those two guys, like they're around the team, like they have media passes. And I guess you guys could touch on this more. Like are those, are those two pretty reliable guys as far as being in touch part. with the team? Especially San Felipe, yeah. Yeah, so, and they were talking about being around the team at that time in 2018-19. And they were saying like how dull the locker room was, how the core was just not really good leaders, like how it just seemed like a rotten group and like just the trickle down effect from the top of the team, from the top of the roster down to the bottom was concerning. And it was just a very like bad vibe in the locker room. Now, obviously they got rid of Ron Hextall and they brought in a brand new coaching staff and players though, but that's what I'm going to ask. And like Jim, like I'm curious to see like your perspective on this, like, how much of like a, a mood change can a guy like AV and the coaches bring? And at a certain point, like, are we like, do you think the players need to be changed? Like, what's your stance on that? Yeah, so it's a, an interesting topic, and I'll kind of I'm gonna give you my full answer here. So I, I've never been uh, a big supporter of giving your best player the C automatically. I think. From my perspective, the C means something. It should go to, you know, the guy who's probably been through the most. It should go through a guy who can actually lead a team, lead a locker room, lead a group of men, you know, not just automatically give it to your best player. And this is not me shitting on Claude Giroux. I think he's an outstanding player. Uh, from what we're able to see, he's a decent guy. I'm sure he's a, a good guy in the locker room. Uh, we've already talked about Jake Voracek. You know, how can you, how can you, make this guy who's inconsistent uh, a leader and a pillar of your team for years to come. Uh, I think there was a lot of issues. And to let, if your top guys, if their shitty attitude or whatever you want to call it starts to trickle down, that's not a leader to me. That's a clear sign that these guys are not leaders because they have to realize that they affect the entire room, right? And so for a while, I was saying this group of guys needs a leader to lead the leaders, kind of like Chris Pronger was to a Richards and a Carter. And I'm not even sure those guys necessarily needed a guy like Pronger, but this team absolutely needed a guy like that to kind of, you know, slap, slap the shit out of everybody. Like, hey, you guys are going the wrong way attitude-wise. You need to get your shit together because it's rubbing off on the young guys. And so... 
I was kind of happy when they brought in a guy like AV because he's a guy that commands respect. You know, he's been through more than any any player on this team's been through, you know, and I thought he did that pretty pretty much right out of the gate. Uh, now, the only thing with that is he's not a player, he's a coach. So he's not around these guys all the time. Uh, I think a lot of reason why they wanted to bring Kevin Hayes in was because of his attitude. We had a chance to talk to Jordan Hall a couple weeks ago, and he had mentioned exactly that. He said, if you were around this team, you know, it was, it was a pretty dark place a couple years ago or even, you know, uh, two years ago. It was not fun to be around this team. I think the losing got to him, the changing of the coach and the GM got to him. You know, maybe they, they were all stuck in their feelings. Who knows? They had their heads up their asses. They bring in Kevin Hayes, and he's brought in to lighten the mood in the locker room. So, I mean, this is kind of off subject, but for me, Kevin Hayes is worth every penny because I, I feel that if you can change the vibe in a room and get everybody kind of thinking positively, that translates to your play on the ice. Now, that can only do so much because you need the skill guy to kind of put you over the top still. But uh, as far as changing the leadership on this roster, in my opinion, and this is not going to be popular, by bringing in Elaine Vigneault and bringing in a guy like Kevin Hayes, who I think is a true leader, maybe not the best player on the ice, but a true leader, I think they did enough to change the attitude that, you know, moving forward they could potentially win, but they still need that, you know, one more uh, talented player to actually win. That's my opinion. I think one thing Hextall did very well was gutting those guys you know, the, those very vocal um, players. Scott Hartnell was the first thing he fucking did when he got here was get rid of Scott Hartnell. Ryan White, you know, for all intents and purposes, was, was, seemed like a very good leader. And I'm not around the team, but I would say I pay closer attention than your average fan does. And, I mean, that kind of negativity was palpable. You know, that mm -hmm. season, right before they fired Hextall and, uh, Hextall and eventually Hextall, like, that was the worst I've ever been as a fan. It was just, there was zero hope of sunshine, right? The most boring team. So boring, so bad, heartless bunch of shitheads. You know, just nothing going on. And Is it is it true that he used Gordon Murphy as a spy? That's the rumor, yeah. What a fucked up, like, it, <laughs> he, it, it's... The it's shit so... that has come out about him since he's left is just, it's bad shit. The guy was just... He was the king of his fucking kingdom, and nobody else was allowed to do anything. Like, he, he is a fucking Napoleon complex if there ever was one, you know. But, like, I, I think the thing this year, going back to the, the leadership thing, is all this shit that the social media team has put out, you know, the haze and the yelling about random shit, you know, the kind of hot and just, you know, random bullshit like that, like, we didn't see that for years, right? When was the last time, you know, they had those kind of guys on here? And maybe in a sick kind of way, the Lindblom thing brought everybody closer together. You know, they spiraled on the ice for a long time because of that, for like a full month, all of December, um, because of the Lindblom thing, you know. And, and once they got it together and he came back in the standing ovation of the Wells Fargo Center, you know, maybe that Lindblom thing brought them closer together. Maybe that'll, you know, continue in the years. So I, I do think that, Jim, you're definitely onto something there with, you know, with AV and, and Hayes being much better additions than they were. And I think that was the one real takeaway from the year was, you know, Hayes, as much as I sat here last year and was worried about that contract, and to an extent I still am, um, you know, 
it's uh sorry i was reading jim's message there yeah me too <laughs> it was um the hell was i even talking about um uh, avian haze oh yeah avian haze changing the um the mindset you know like as much as i still don't like haze's contract because it's gonna bite him in the ass sooner or later in the short term i don't think there's been a player like him in this organization for a very very long time that kind of brought that 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 energy that passion that fun shit you know where it's not so cold and dingy and dark all the fucking time you know and and they need more people like him and, and again this goes back to what we were talking about through a whole episode you know it's the same fucking core that's been here for 10 plus years at this point you know you gotta change some shit up and uh even some of these depth guys that have been around for a while you know hopefully that they can find somebody like that and that's maybe where the issue with all the kids comes in is your bottom six is going to be filled mostly with prospects at that point um even in the future like kasha rubsov ever make it you know torinsky bunneman all these young guys that don't necessarily have that experience maybe they do need somebody like a Derek broussard you know that could or somebody along those lines that could you know push them to the next step veteran leadership wise um from a depth perspective so it's an interesting thing that you know we as fans can just sit here and speculate but you know as i was saying there's enough of of uh, a brain power between the three of us and this team, you know that we can pretty much tell what's going on more often than not, just from the general vibe we're getting. But it's like it's also like for those depth type of roles, I've always been more of a guy who favors to lean on veterans yes. because when you're a twenty year old and you come up, like there's not many twenty year olds or like twenty one year olds that are just like you know they're projected to be a fourth line center like. They're projected to be, you know, like yeah. th those kind of players. And like when you're a 20 year old, like you're not as like apt to buy in to like being just that good defensive guy or whatever. Like and I just look at like like and I maybe I'm just like relying too much on what happened in 2010. But, you know, like when you guys had when they had like Daryl Powell and Blair Betts and Ian LaPerriere and like Aaron Asham, like those are guys you kind of wanted in those depth roles or even when they in 2012 you know you had max talbot like that was like a perfect type of player that like we don't have anymore you don't have that guy that like will flex from like fourth line center to like third line wing i guess that's kind of like scott lawton nowadays or like even when they had like a, like adam hall yeah. like yeah. i think th those are players that are missing you look at guys that like these other teams that are winning stanley cups like we'll bring in <laughs> bye jim jim's gone everybody <laughs> well i guess we are two and a half hours in but uh, oh, there he oh. Is. hi jim so, sorry i don't know what the fuck's going on i think my wi-fi is fucked well jim we were just talking about like how you like for the depth role on a on very successful teams you usually lean on veterans as opposed to rookies because how many rookies like enter the nhl like projected to be like a fourth line center or a shut down bottom line winger and maybe when you're that age you think about that mentality you're just like yo i didn't want to come to play in the nhl to play fucking eight minutes a night and only start in the d zone like wouldn't you rather add like more character guys like the flyers have had in the past like talbot or Betts or um adam hall like the ryan white like those types of players to fill those roles yeah, and that's why this team it's it's a little bit it's it's odd because you know they have Backwards. all these yeah they have all these young guys coming up replacing you know another who however many years so I don't need to be here 
uh, but hopefully replace. And uh, at all. Um, they have the old stars, and they have the new guys coming. The the guys that you're talking about, the the bats and the Talbots and all those kind of. Did I freeze again? Yes, we caught about yeah, four I, words, whatever you just said. Yeah. And I feel like you had a really good point going. Because <laughs> every time you would unfreeze, I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. And then, like, go back. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Well, we are unfreezing. Uh... <laughs> we are uh, uh, today. I got to get that figured out. Yeah. Uh, kind of crucial to doing your job here, Jim. No. Yeah, it's lost connection again. I'm still on here, so. All right. Uh, well, we're weird. fucking Sorry about that. two and a half hours in, everybody. So let's, let's, uh, we'll call it a day here since Jim can't stay on the face of the planet. So, uh, at, this is probably the last show until the Christmas show next Thursday. So, Jim, you better get your fucking Wi Fi figured out between then. Somebody has to shepherd me around that night. And, uh, yeah. At Dan the Flyer fan, at Brotherly Puck. Uh, I don't think we got much else going on. A whole bunch of new articles up on the site, as always, for this week. Got some going on next week, too. Maybe this this Angry Sandheim Manifesto I'll post for, just for everybody to see for SNGs. But, um, yeah. Anthony, where can people uh, find you on Twitter? Uh, at Marco 25 Jim? <laughs> awesome. Just uh, check out hwhockey.net. Follow me on Twitter, Jim Mike HW. All right, <laughs> got all that. We got all that one in. Good. All right, everybody. Oh, uh, until next time. Goodbye and good night.